And we are live with uh, episode 7 of the Temp Shift podcast. And uh, we have a crowded one today uh, for a very special episode. Uh, first up, to my left, we have um, a guy who is very hard to miss if you are an Overwatch League fan, a guy who you've probably read on the Upcomer, the guy who's responsible for pretty much all the latest uh, leaks and breaking news in the Overwatch scene. How are you doing, Iska? Pretty good, thank you. Uh, below not, him. Res not, not responsible for all the leaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was another one yesterday that we uh, that was highly unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> below him, we have um, a content creator who has been around the scene forever, a uh, writer for Esports Heaven, does columns, interviews, news reports, podcasts, does it all. How are you doing, Valmo? Good, good. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And... Last but certainly not least, we have the man who you've uh, probably seen um, chugging down or uh, slamming down some oranges uh, down his mouth on the Overwatch, Overwatch League broadcast. Um, delivers some hard-hitting segments, such as Insights powered by Intel. Uh, but mostly the oranges. Mostly the oranges. <laughs> um, Overwatch League analyst Sideshow. How are you doing, Sideshow? Pretty good, thank you. Excited. Hyped. Yeah. Ready at 9 a.m. Yeah, very, very hype episode indeed. So we will not be discussing any leaks today, uh, even though that's uh, you know one of the biggest ones happened yesterday. We're, we will not be discussing any news. This is a special episode, and we will only try to answer one question and one question only, and that is wh which players are the best to build the franchise around in the Overwatch League. So I gave all of these guys some of the brightest minds in uh, Overwatch uh, a task to uh, provide me with a top 10 list of guys who they think are the best players to build around. And not a lot of rules, uh, only a couple. Number one is that you're going to get these guys for five years. So obviously you have to consider age. Uh, you know, there might be a player who's the best in the world today, but if he's 24, he's definitely probably going to be out, the, uh, out of the league before that five-year five, five -year contract ends. So a lot of uh, a very important factor in determining value of players in, in these rankings. Number two is that Season three starts next week. So uh, season two ends today and the next season starts next week just for convenience sake. So we don't have to think about, okay, how old is this going to be in nine months? And we're just basically dealing with inform information that we have at our disposal today. And last is that this isn't a draft. So we're not competing in against each other. Picks can overlap. This is basically just us independently uh, putting our lists together to kind of see if we can find a consensus on who the best guys are. Now, the way this is going to work is I'm going to reveal the picks one by one. We're going to discuss them. We're going to defend them. Um, and But before we get to that, I think it's very important that we establish our parameters. Because, again, because we're thinking about an, a five-year window, there's a million ways you can tackle this issue or this task. Uh, there's the importance of age, which positions are the most important, flexibility across metas, language skills, competitive history, marketability. Maybe some of us value marketability and, and skill as a combination. Maybe others just want the best or the most skilled player in the world. A lot of different ways to tackle this. So uh, let's start with you, Iska. Were there any hard rules um, as you were making your list that you kind of settled on? So technically, I didn't want to play uh, over the age of 20. I uh, violated that rule once um, simply because five years is such a long time in, in Overwatch. There aren't that many players over 25 that are still starters or actively playing. 
like the I think the oldest one is Kumat, who just recently turned 30, I believe. 29 last year is already like a a very uh respectable age. I think the in general, the the average age of an Overwatch League Pro currently is ridiculously low. I think it's it might be under 20 on average. So um or just slightly above. Now of course, in five years, that is you. You need some exceptional individuals in in order to um, still be confident, as confident as you can be, um, that they will have a career in five years in the Overwatch. Volumel, uh, how about yourself? Anything else other than from? Um, for me, it was, it was really about flexibility. It's been something that I've been like me personally have been very fond of uh, a lot of some of my favorite players to watch very flexible. I think that being, being a team that can be kind of meta agnostic is super important with how drastically the game changes, uh, you know, week to week, month by month. Uh, obviously, I think that could uh, could change. I think that that parameter could change uh, with the, the reported changes. But um, for the most part, I think it's a good pillar to kind of stand in and and build a build a team around. And that's kind of what my my central thesis was. Mm-hmm. And I knew that these nerds would be going with the most hardcore picks imaginable. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my my philosophy coming into this was uh, incorporating age and flexibility to some set, uh, extent but more focusing i think on the uh the more like realism portion rather than idealism portion i think so like you are actually in the overwatch league and you are picking a franchise star so you're gonna want to build your brand your marketability around this guy or whoever they might be or girl and uh you are trying to um make sure that you've got somebody that might work in a multitude of different teams. So somebody that would be able to work if it was like an English speaking team or something like that. So I tended to pick people who are um, people that define a team's style or that I know will be leadership figures within the team that I know I can build other people around and have a cohesive uh, team. And also somebody that functions in mixed roster teams as much as possible. There's a bunch of just people who have only played in Korean teams and are so incredible that you have to pick them. But uh, I tended to pick more uh, people that would be able to work in a variety of roles because over the course of five years, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great parameter to have because if you think about it, like a good example is um, if you were making this uh, type of a um, show a year ago, like Fisher would probably make this list, right? Or be somewhere in the vicinity, right? But that, that's where you kind of have to consider the fact that, well, what is his competitive history? His competitive history is he's flamed out of out of several teams. He's on his third team in a year. So probably not a safe guy to bet that you're gonna that's gonna be around in five years. And lo and behold, he's out of the league uh by stage three, right? So that's definitely something I considered as well. You were gonna add something, uh, Iska? Yeah, I I definitely have been of the opinion that hybrid rosters are, will be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Just uh, their modularity in terms of roster building, just being able to take um, top talent from an international roster, that certainly weighs heavily. And hence why my my list would be very different from who is the actual best player in the world and will I project to be the best player in the world? Because I definitely value uh, being a Western player, for instance, or also already having experience in 
in playing international rosters, not just the experience, but also having a proven track record that they can work in international rosters. I definitely considered that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that car that carried weight in my list as well. But what I was thinking mostly is that if this is my guy that I'm really going to build around, I cannot miss on this guy. This has to be a sure thing. And it has to be, it doesn't have to be a player that's going to be the best player on my team four years down the road, but a guy who I know will not be benched at, at any point. Right? So also flexibility, just like Valma said, is extremely, extremely important. I have to know that this guy is going to be my second or my third best guy even a couple of years down the road obviously you never know but I, I want there has to be a good chance that the guy is going to be there so with that in mind I, I started going through positions so were there any positions that you guys kind of excluded or prioritized how important was flexibility overall uh, you know what, what did you think in terms of uh, positional um, categories I almost categorically excluded tank tank lines. Um, I think if I project where Overwatch will go, the changes will be uh, the most severe in that department. Also, they have been the most severe. We've seen a lot of um, people dropping out, even though they were like outstanding talents such as Miro um, on those positions. I think the focus of there are very few players who really have all three current main tanks down to a high level. And as such, I think it will remain uh, that way. And I also don't think main tank is that sexy most of the time in most matters. So um, I, I also exclude them maybe in a, as a minor point from a marketing perspective. See, for me, I went almost the complete opposite. I think that having a, a solid main tank makes a great focal point for your team. And it's one of the most important roles to really nail. Um, and if you get somebody that has a track record of being able to grind a hero so that maybe they're not the most incredible player in the world at it, but they're always going to be at a reasonable level with whatever they pick. They're not just a specialist in one role, right? They're not like a, a gesture who struggles on Reinhardt, but is incredible at the Arisa and the Winston. Uh, they're not... Um, I mean, Mano would have been an incredible pick, but he's actually a little old, so I, I didn't go with him. But he's like the, the archetype of what I would have picked if he was a, a younger person because he's so consistent and able just to hit all of the boxes and really seems to be the kind of person that you could build a team around. And just because main tank, I think, is one of the roles where there's the least available talent or it takes a long time for somebody to actually break into that role that was actually one of the roles where i was thinking okay who are the main tanks i can build around rather than dps where there's just like there's a thousand dps players that could come up at any time that are just in insane mechanical uh godchildren from korea i'm i'm so glad you brought that up because as i was building this list i'm like I, I thought similarly to you, Sideshow, where I, I looked at the tanks and I'm like, well, you know, these players, you know, are good at these heroes, but then they start to fall away when I try to, you know, position them under these categories. Like, okay, can you be flexible? I, I know you're good at like these heroes, but like it starts to really dwindle away. And I think that this meta in particular has really started to to eat away at like our, our viewpoints on how good some of these main tanks are and yeah, very, very hard. But yeah, I think it's super important to have a, a, a leader at the, in the front line and, and somebody that's very flexible and, and almost a little specialized. Maybe I'll say that. Mm -hmm. that. That is actually interesting that you guys went so much for leadership because I didn't consider it a big, uh, I big I, maybe, maybe I posed it uh, incorrectly. I wouldn't say leadership, but somebody who I, I think, 
can dictate a style, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah, style and also a little bit of leadership for me as well, because if I'm going to pick somebody, I want to build the team around them. I don't necessarily want them to be the person that's like the franchise star, but they're just plugged into a bunch of different models. I don't, I don't want to have to rebuild my team with a totally different roster just for the sake of keeping this guy in. Like, say if I picked, I mean, say if I picked a Profit or something, um, who is like a hyper-flexible player. I don't want to have to rebuild everybody around Profit with a totally new style and just have him be plugged back in because I feel like that ruins even the idea of having him as the franchise star. At that point, he's just plugging gaps in your team, which you can be incredibly good at and I suppose could be like the way that you build your team, but it, it seems... Um, even though it might be more reasonable to do that over the course of five years, I don't think yeah. it's. Uh, I don't think it would lend itself to the best, so, the best franchise. So that's what I think. I, I do think that that's over a five year five year period of time. I think that is the best thing because this is the guy that's going to be around. Now, I, I do agree that main tank is super super important. I think main tank is probably the most important position, uh, and but I do think that, and I do think it's a very thin position. But I don't feel like there's a lot of guys who I feel confident in pick, confident in picking that I'm that are gonna be around for sure uh, that are skill wise at a, at a, at the same level as some of the other guys. Now, the positions that fe- so I, I do value main tank, but maybe not as much as um, um, sideshow. A position that definitely fell out for me was main support because initially I thought, well, that's where my my leader is gonna be. I know being a coach, it's ext- you you really need a really good main support. Like you absolutely have to have one. But at the same time, if you think about last year's finals, London and Philly, what who are the main supports? Neptuno and Nuss, solid players, but not guys you would ever ever even consider in a list like this. And I feel like you can find guys like that. You can find value uh, players lo- lower down in the chain, which is why I didn't really consider main supports. At all. I also didn't consider hitscan specialists, really. Guys who haven't shown uh, yeah. that that much. Uh, and and oh, another another reason why main supports fell out for me was because most of these guys have only been... They, they only played two heroes. What if the meta yeah. changes to the point where you have to play two flex sports? Does, does my leader... Is my leader just a huge liability? We've seen so many guys who are like Lucio one-tricks or Mercy one-tricks, and then they're just completely irrelevant a year later. You know, we've seen plenty of guys like that. So... Hitscans, based on the same premise, kind of fall out for me as well. If you only play Hitscan, um, how are you going to adapt to future metas? I'm not sure. The guys who went to the top of my list are guys who are Hitscan and Projectile Hybrids. So these are the guys that I feel are going to be able to have a second start next to them, and they're going to enable that guy. Uh, These are going to be guys who... Regardless of what the meta is, they can still contribute. They can play hit scans and they can play projectiles. So I value that position super, super highly. Like, um, yeah, go on. Another aspect I considered, and I asked around some of the coaches, and one thing that was really important to me is if a player is smart. So even if your mechanics decay and they mer- very mel- well might in your 20s if you're a smart player you can still play these roles that don't re- necessarily uh require the mechanics i could definitely see someone like profit move to a diva position or whatever right that's very possible they like 
Profit in itself doesn't have the most outstanding mechanics. Most of the stuff he does is because he has honed fundamentals and he also is the one of the best on-the-fly thinkers and predictors that we have in the league. So I definitely made sure that I had an understanding that these players are also facilitators within their team in terms of team strategy and uh, uh, stuff like this, yeah. So a good thing to bring up on that, I think, is how much did you guys value these players' players' performance in a GOATS meta, especially when you're considered DPS players? Because heading into a 2-2-2 two -two -two meta, obviously you won't have to see these guys on uh, Brig or these heroes, but kind of piggybacking on Yiska's points, if a player who has shown exceptional play before a GOATS and also managed to be very efficient in a GOATS meta... That does tell me, especially Brick, not really a mechanically uh, demanding hero, but a hero that requires quite a bit of brain, shot calling, and if you manage to be an effective contributor to your team in that, that meta as well, it's it's not the biggest thing that I consider, but it's definitely a plus in the corner. What, what did you guys think? Did you guys value, how much did you value uh, these guys' performance in GOAT's meta? Yeah, I would say that the, the GOAT's meta thing is really quite indicative, uh, I think, of their ability to adapt to weird metas. Like, it, okay, if you've just got a, a DPS player and all you want him to play is DPS, then the boundaries are much less. But if new heroes get added into the game, then that's the kind of thing where you're looking at these kind of metas where they were pushed miles out of their comfort zone. Or say they have to play a DPS hero, which is much more about ability cooldowns rather than just your your aim and, and whatever that might be. And I think... The idea that they could perform on Brig or on Zarya is really important. And likewise, if they really struggled with that adaptation, then I think that also is like a little bit of a question mark that they would be able to widen their hero pool as, as far as it could possibly go without just relying on mechanics. Also, another thing that I considered was, do I expect these players to be hungry for an extended period of time? And maybe not just hungry, but at least not beaten down by whatever's uh, thrown them at them in their career, right? Can I see a player? There are certain players where I think, okay, they are going all out, but that's not a sustainable model. There are players that are just shut-ins and would do nothing else even if nobody paid them money. And there are players that I don't see moving past uh, that point of trying to verify their ego constantly. It, uh, within their mid-20s. So that was certainly one thing. Drive was one thing I considered as well. In a way, I, I considered that, but it wasn't necessarily drive. It was more of a, a historical precedent. Like, have these have these players been good on multiple teams? Um, how good have they been? Have they been a standout on the team? What role did they play? Not in terms of just in-game role, but like, what role did I kind of perceive of them? Did were they a supportive style of player? Were they more aggressive? Did they kind of lead the pace? Did they were they more sub submissive to another player? That was unintentionally i would say uh another branch off of of my my idea of how to build this team mm -hmm. so i guess we can head into the first pick now a little fun tidbit uh, just to kind of set the table i um i mentioned this to yiska and to Valmel, but satchel wasn't in on the call yet just in our top fives everyone has at least one guy that no one has even in their top 10 that's very interesting. If we extend that to top six, 
within our top six, there are seven players that only one person has in their list. So there are quite a bit of over, there's quite a bit of overlap, but also uh, a lot of disagreement. Which I mean, it's it makes sense because obviously our parameters are different. Now there are seven. There's 22 players in total who got votes, and seven players found their way on three lists or more. And 15 guys, 15 out of the 22 guys were only mentioned once. So obviously seven of those 15 in the top, within the top six and the rest uh, lower down. And lower down is where you probably expect the most uh, um, variation. So, okay. So let's head into the first selection. And our first picks, uh, I'm going to read them out. They're on the stream. I'm going to read them out for the podcast listeners. Both me and Sideshow have Gushue coming in at number one. Uh, Yiska, surprise, surprise, has uh, Profit. And uh, the Bombshell, I thought, when I uh, saw these lists. Don't. Volamil has Libero at number one. Okay. And I think that's uh, <laughs> the most logical uh, spot to start, um, uh, Volamil. Uh, give us uh, your case for Libero. Sure. So Libero has always been a player that I've I've really not not only been a fan of, but I've appreciated how not only flexible he is, but the role that he's always played. He can be the star when he needs to be, but he also most often than not is the supportive kind of guy sitting in the shadows. We've seen how good he is on Brigitte. There was an interview way, way back in the day where some of the Metathena coaches, if not, I think it was actually with him, talk about how he was instrumental in creating some of those weird strategies that I really, really enjoy. I think, you know, maybe maybe I'm just a cheesy person. Maybe, you know, I, I like my style. I like my, you know, Chengdu hunters. So I like being able to kind of be very creative he fits he, he he's that whole filler for me he he literally can play in anything he can be multi uh, he can fit on many different roles in the game so he can play flex flex tank he can play you know a hit scan if he needs to primarily as a, a you know a, a projectile specialist but you know can play almost anything he's he's the colorless player that just fits in any meta um i think was was just if I had to build around anybody, I think it would be him. Thoughts on Libero, guys? I don't hate that pick. I actually quite like it. My only issue with it is that it is very colorless, as you said. <laughs> it's it's very much the, the bland pick where Libero doesn't really define a style and is very much like the plug that you fit into every... Uh, would be able to fit into every team, I think. Mm. He, he seems like he's a pretty smart player. He's hyper-flexible, and he's pretty talented. Would I say he's the most talented player on the roles that he plays? No, but he's also able to, to pick up a bunch of different stuff. He's had a lot of success in New York. I, I don't know how well, how good he'd look on a worse team. That's the other thing that is uh, is springing into my mind at the moment as well, is that he tends to be a role player on teams. It's been a long time since I saw him as a as, as a, like, as like a, a flashy leader sure that makes sense yeah but yeah. but if you're really hyper prioritizing flexibility and being able to you know play in every single meta and do i think he'd be around in five years honestly i've no fucking idea because i don't know anything about <laughs> i actually i've got no it's, idea yeah, about it's hard to tell. i don't know his drives i don't know his personality i don't know anything like that which i think would also potentially hurt if you're building around him but he's fairly popular so maybe not Mm -hmm. So when I saw the pick, um, 
he obviously passes the age test. He's only 19, which was a little surprising to me. I kind of expected him to be a little older. I don't know why, but I just expected him to be a little older than 19. He's 20 now. Yeah. Oh, 20. Okay. Uh, so, you know, 20, but uh, he does, he, he's flexible. I, I definitely agree with what um, Sideshow said in terms of not, not going to, not, pretty bland now i i do like libero as a player i love the the role that he fills he's very flexible the reason he didn't even make my top 20 uh was because and and i am on your side in terms of valuing flexibility is the fact that you mentioned that he can play hit scan but i don't think he's proficient at all and i think some of new york's issues last season stemmed from the fact that he couldn't really play hit scan now you could argue as well well sbb couldn't really adapt to the widow and if we can he can adapt to the widow that that's where you fall but if libero could fill the widow maybe sbb could fill something else maybe pine could fill something else so yeah the part of the issue was that both pine and sbb were very, very one-dimensional players but also liberal liberal couldn't shore up those weaknesses simply because he doesn't he doesn't excel at hit scan heroes which mm. is why i felt even though i'm on your side in terms of flexibility i felt like there are a lot better options that that's why i kind of valued the um Okay. Hybrids. hybrids. What did you think uh, of that pick, uh, Yiska? Uh, he would have probably been 11th or 12th place for me. Um, I, I definitely, like, as a, as a profile, he's sort of similar to uh, Profit in many aspects, but I think he lacks a certain elite quality and also um, certainly is one of the, the players that... Uh, underperform in playoff situations so unless you think it's your franchise that's fixable somehow and you have got a good psychologist on hand that is certainly one thing because if i build my franchise i'm building it to win i'm not building to maintain a solid uh, uh roster I'm, I'm definitely trying to go all out every single time and uh as such i also like libero doesn't strike me as a player that will have a long career you think? I, I really don't have a good read on that at all. Why do you think he won't have? I don't think it's. I don't think it's fair to assume that players wouldn't, especially when they just fly under the radar like Libero. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't have any idea about what. His I think that drives. might be one of the reasons. Like you definitely, in order to maintain a career, like you would have to be. It, it's very hard if you're not a consistent starter and an unquestionable starter over the first two seasons of the Overwatch League for me to make the case that you would be in the following five years. Mm. Yeah, and just in defense of his uh, his hitscan prowess as well, he did actually play Widowmaker for them in the Stage 2 playoffs and was pretty competent there, actually. Um, but obviously got benched in Stage 3, presumably, because yeah. the team thought he wasn't good enough. But I think, I think he's more known for his projectile, but he's played a bunch of, like, the maybe what you'd call the easier or the more like the 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 hit scans that people play from the outside like a lot of yeah. flexipods play the widow widows more of like a specialized role that you can pick up after grinding it for a while and like the soldier and stuff like that but uh yeah he he has played it at like a the top level before though and and been pretty competent at it he also has a bunch of just weird picks like think back to season 1 playoffs you know we were waiting to see his hanzo right i think even back in the day, like his May was still super good. Like I think you, he has a lot to to kind of 
tailor him to future metas, tailor him to specific styles, which was something, again, that I, I valued quite a lot. Like, can I kind of make a team that's very stylistic? Because I think that's something that, A, the Overwatch League is lacking, and B, can just win you games, a la Shanghai, Chengdu, you, you, you know. There's a lot of examples. Well, not a lot, but you know, a fair, a fair few examples. I mean, in hindsight, I probably would uh, reevaluate and put him in my top twenty. Not not as I, but yeah, I, the fact that he did survive and did pretty well in the goats meta also factors into this. I think, and there are a lot. There's some guys sort of in my top twenty that uh, don't really pass the test in that regard. Now, moving on to the next pick, uh, let's start with um, you, Sideshow. Make the case for why um, I am correct with this pick. <laughs> I'll argue for you as well. Uh, I think Gushue is one of the most interesting examples because he doesn't have a long history of being of being hyper successful, which is the the downside to him. But he just has so much going for him in terms of he's a, a star player uh, at the moment on his role, and he's been able to pick up the Reinhardt very very quickly. So he started on Winston. He's been in a mixed roster team and still survived and been able to perform at the top level. That is huge for me. That just shows me that he can work in almost any team circumstance. He's on a team full of Koreans. Good Lord knows what language they speak. Actually, I can't wriggle the information out of anybody. It seems to be some kind of hybrid between English and Korean. Whenever you ask people, but I don't know how Gushue is surviving in there. And presumably there's some words that they've kind of portmanteaued or whatever from Mandarin, but I don't know what the system looks like from the inside. But the fact that they've managed to integrate him in is phenomenal to me and speaks to, to Gusha. And the fact that he's still able to have such a large amount of success and be coordinated within his role, I think is huge. But also just the marketability aspect of having a Chinese player as your franchise star. And if you were going to tap into China and wanted to build a kind of Chinese team and tap into the number one region for Overwatch, uh, then you wouldn't be able to pick anybody else, I don't think. There is no other Chinese player you would want to build around at the moment. It would only be Gushui. And the fact that he is a very talented player and also has a lot of experience playing on, or not a lot of experience, but has at least one incredibly notable experience playing on a mixed language team means that I would feel insanely comfortable from a marketing perspective building around him because he was the most popular player even when the spark was shit in the bed as well he was like the most popular player from china um he seems pretty personable as well like he interacts well in interviews and this kind of stuff and uh is also pretty young i mean the guy's only 18 years old and seems like he he will continue to improve so from from like a hybrid approach, from like the marketability, and also from I think this guy can survive in a bunch of different teams. I I feel pretty good about Gushui. Mm -hmm. I mean, to to add to that, because I completely agree with pretty much everything you said. I think you nailed it uh, in in terms of everything. So to uh, reiterate some points in terms of him adapting to the spark and being the lone. Chinese player in a Korean full Korean roster, like that gives me so much confidence in this pick, and simply because of how well he's been doing as well. If you look at stage one, their Reinhardt goats were awful. But by stage two, they improved tremendously. A tremendous, tremendous amount. And communication is such a huge part. And the, the reason why they improved, I think the biggest reason, is that Gushiev wasn't out of position as much. Their trades were a lot better. I think if you look at stage one and stage two games, incredible difference in Gushiev's performance and how the team played around him. Obviously, Winston, I think, best in the world. Uh, the fact that he's only 18 and he's already the best Winston in the world, and you know, you could you could argue that well, maybe he hasn't shown an Arissa yet. 
Reinhardt, I think, re reasonably well. Um, from all aspects, I think he's just kind of the safest pick, a guy who's very marketable, uh, like uh, Saicho said. And yeah, I just I just feel like he's um, he's the safest pick. And I also think that if you look two, three years down the road, I feel like I'm going to have the advantage in the main tank matchup against pretty much any team two years down the road as well, just because he's 18. Do you Are you not at all concerned that... We've seen so little at him at an at a decent or top professional level that this might just turn out to be a fluke, much like other like even last year you would have said Jesha would have been the best main tech in the world or would have argued for that, and you pr probably would have brought him on if you were mm -hmm. to recruit. Now this guy is barely average. Does that not scare well, you at all? Well, I think just to hop on the gesture point for a little bit. I mean, once we go into an Arisa meta or if Winston comes back or this kind of stuff, I think gesture is still going to be mm -hmm. pretty yeah. good. And, and London were able to remain competent even when uh, even when they're at their, their lowest point at the moment. So I think it's 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 not so much of an issue if you end up being in a meta where they struggle a little bit. And I don't really view Gushue as the same specialist. I mean, possibly possibly that's unfair because we've only seen him play two main tank heroes which is the same that we saw from gesture we saw him play the winston and the Urissa, and he really excelled on both of those and we didn't really see much reinhardt from him so it was hard to really get a feel so that might be the same for gushway but what what makes me very confident about gushway over gesture having seen the with with the benefit of hindsight is that gesture just came out and slapped on winston and Urissa, and we didn't really see that development process from him but we've seen the development process from Gushwe on Reinhardt, and it was fast, mm -hmm. and uh, even within a mixed team. And so he seems, if you were to extrapolate, like he would probably be able to do a similar kind of thing on other main tank heroes. It doesn't seem to be as much a natural, intuitive understanding of how to play the hero, and more just grinding it out and, and getting a, a good feel and being a fairly intelligent player. Yeah, And I feel like even if it if that development process isn't necessarily to the point where he becomes the best on a new hero, I still think that he can become top five in pretty much any, any hero simply because of uh, what, what I mentioned and what you uh, mentioned there, Saicho, the development curve was very, very quick uh, in, uh, into an elite level Reinhardt. I, I wanted to kind of ask you guys about uh, his Reinhardt in particular. Um, watching him domestically in China, he was always a standout. Um, really started catching my eye after that World Cup performance. Um, numbers that were insane statistically um, that looked like they were too good to be true, that were, were a fluke. But when you put up numbers like he did, there's something special there um specifically about the reinhardt though do you think that that was more of him and the team not being super cohesive was it was it more of their struggling with the style of goats or was it his individual performance on reinhardt i think it was just the team aspect like i was watching quite a lot of their um bods i was i was counting them quite a lot and you could see in stage one, how bad their trades were. You could see Gushue taking a step back and then the bubble coming onto him while he's holding the shield. He's completely not ready. I think it's very, very clear watching those VODs that he, he just doesn't understand that the bubble is coming. He doesn't understand that his team wants to shift the tempo or that God's B wants to shift the tempo and push in and he's backing off. They were just so out of sync, I, I felt. 
And was, was is that not more of communication though? Yeah, I think less I, I, less so about like Reinhardt performance, like how good yeah. he is on the hero. I don't think we've necessarily seen maybe how how proficient he might be. Maybe it was more. I, I'm not to not to be a you know a Reinhardt apologist, but you know it's it's difficult in the goats meta for these guys. And if your team is struggling with a language barrier and and you know communication isn't the best, is it is it fair to necessarily judge his as Rein performance? Yeah, at the time. Well, if it wasn't fair, then the obvious option that logically follows is that he always had an elite tier Reinhardt, which would be yeah, I, kind I of strange, yeah. but uh, but it's possible, right? But sure. even that isn't really a knock against him. Yeah, Yes, it does undermine the idea that he developed very quickly, but I also don't think there's really a good way of being able to tell whether That's he true. developed very quickly or whether it was all communication. It was probably, if it were being reasonable, a blend of both. Both, yeah. Um, because the guy didn't have as much experience on the Rhino, particularly in a top-level team, and almost everybody was trying to make that development. Yeah. Uh, and even if the communication issues got solved, well, that would still put him on par with every other main tank in the league that's playing with a roster that understands them. And so that would only, you would suppose, put him to an average level. And he's actually performing at you know at the top along with other uh, elite-tier Reinhardts. So I think it has to be a combination of both or you have to accept that he always had an elite tier Reinhardt along with his elite tier Winston. And at that point you're like, well, what the fuck well, else? How can he not be first? Him? Yeah. Well, well, sure. But at that point, maybe the issues that, uh, Yiska was bringing up about yeah. gesture would, would, uh, would Makes come to play mm -hmm. and you would see, but, uh, but also, I mean, I think it's just worth taking a punt on because yeah. China's so big. Yeah. Uh, it, it also, mm -hmm. Just outside of the marketability tool as well, it opens you up to the largest... If you pick Gushui, it opens you up to the largest pool of other players that you can put him with out of any player in the world. Any player in the world. You can't confidently say that you can take any other player and plug a bunch of Chinese players around them or a bunch of Korean players around them or a bunch of English players around them and actually mm -hmm. have uh, success. Whereas with Gushui, you've got that um, model already set and presumably he he holds the secrets as to how he was able to do that and still have success. Last real quick point to touch on what what Sideshow said. You know, think back to what you know the, the the Spark coaches said as they were building the team. You know, they 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 were in Korea. They they were in the Korean environment. They saw all of the the prospects that were available to sign, and they said, "We're going to take this guy from China." That d almost doesn't happen. Sure. It also it does happen if you're trying to tap into Chinese fan base. True. You also are <laughs> sponsored by a Chinese team, so maybe, you know, came from on high. Who knows? You I know, think, trying to make it a little sexy. I think talking uh, about Spark as well, um, yeah, I, 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 that's a good point, but I also think that they were probably confident in that No Smite was going to be their guy, and they were just going, well, let's pick up Gushi and maybe he works out. Okay. Uh, simply because the Spark core is coming essentially from the same team. Um, yeah. And No Smite was part of that, and he was relatively successful. Now, obviously, he hasn't worked out. He didn't perform at all in Stage 1, which is why Gushui took his job. But I would speculate that heading into the year, that was probably their mindset that, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to roll with No Smite. Let's take Gushui a low risk, low, a very, very high reward, clearly, uh, as it has paid off. Now, last one, the best player we... Have mentioned plenty of times, but not exactly discussed is Yiska's number one pick, which is uh, surprise, surprise, profit. So uh, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, there was so, no way of seeing it coming. Yiska, why profit? So I mean, it's it's not just a meme for me that I think 
that Prophet, when it's all said and done, Prophet will be the greatest player of all time uh, in Overwatch. I think he already has started that tenure. I also think we're probably not highlighting him enough this season, once again. Didn't see any ballots putting him on. He sh probably shouldn't be an MVP candidate at this point, simply because he wasn't probably the best player on his team. He still was very, very solid. He basically plays pretty much everything. The breadth of his skill set from hit scan to projectile to playing aggressively, playing defensively, to playing around someone that's hot, being the one that's hot, that is not going away and it hasn't gone away in the two years that we've uh, we've seen him play. If I play want to build a, uh, a franchise, then I'm picking up uh, Michael Jordan in the first two years he hits the NBA. And that's simply, I, I couldn't argue against it. My worries with Profit have, um, I mean, I've still got him in my top three, right? So I'm saying my worries with Profit, but the reason that I didn't put essentially is I, I don't know how the guy would work in a, in a, in a mixed uh, roster for, for starters, but that's kind of tangential. It's not necessary because Korea has such a deep hero pool, uh, deep talent pool. But okay, and but this year I've been a little concerned with Profit, and Monty still believes that Profit should be an MVP pick this year because he's kept London in it. Um, because London haven't uh, had, they desperately needed someone to fill in a, a brig role at the beginning when Birdring was trying to um, figure out Zarya, and then when they decided that Birdring wasn't the right pick on Zarya, Profit went over to that, and he was able to fill that role. But I've been concerned with Profit playing heroes that are more to do with ability cooldown usage rather than to do with, I have space, let me actually go in and uh, and make stuff happen. Uh, particularly because it's a DPS hero, the Sombra was a puzzling one to me because it seemed like that would be one where he would be able to, to pick it up. But he really struggled on it, I think, and didn't look particularly competent. And I think that was that seems to be more with i think he's a very smart player coordinating around his team and understanding what's what needs to be done but the way that sombra works is that you're in more of a leadership role you are the one that's co communicating what abilities have been used and how to maneuver the rest of your team and profit struggle with that i think along with keeping it all in his brain how to use all of the cooldowns and get the the most out of the hero and then he wasn't also a, a star zarya whereas we've seen other people come from the DPS role and really hone that. How much of that was down to London Spitfire shit in the bed as well? I'm not really sure because a couple of teams shit the bed and still looked like they had incredible Zarya players. Um, but uh, Prophet looked like he was really competent and has a fantastic hero pool, but slightly concerned with the more ability cooldown focused heroes compared to the ones where he could just um, frag out of control. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, I agree with uh, pretty much all of that. I think the fact that he can fill different roles, that I, I think what, what you mentioned in terms of Birdring starting on the Zarya and moving to the Brig, if Prophet wasn't as flexible and wasn't willing to go to the Zarya, I think London would be completely screwed for the entire season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they dropped yeah. off during stage three, but they were very solid in the first two stages, relatively solid at least. And even in, in practice, I think other team, teams have mentioned that they... They were very, very solid in practice heading into the air. Now, obviously, there's a lot of issues with London. They, they're they very volatile, mm -hmm. but I don't think it really stems from Profit. I think Profit solves a lot of their uh, problems in a lot of different 
Arius. And then in terms of his Zarya, like it, it, I think it's a fair point, the fact that he hasn't picked up the Zarya to the point where he has the same impact he had last year on Tracer and on other DPS heroes. But then if you balance it out and think about, well, those players who have really, really excelled on the Zarya this year, how close were they, they to Profit's impact last year? Right, historically, and I think it balances out to the point where Profit is ahead of the curve uh, because he's he's serviceable, he's decent on the Zarya, he was able to fill that role, and he is um, uh, a carry on a lot of other heroes. It is, I think, a little bit concerning the fact that he did uh, pick up Sombra, like Sacho mentions. He obviously did hit the bench uh, towards the end of stage three, I believe. Uh, so that is a little bit uh, concerning to me as well. But I feel like um, he is uh, he's such an impactful player and. Um, or pretty much every other hero that he's played, where he's had. To Honestly, learn. I have to say that it once again looks like miscoaching on the mm -hmm. London Spitfire once again. Like it doesn't strike me as particularly a good coaching to consistently switch around roles, and uh, it it also hasn't uh, historically gone well. If you think about the teams that have switched players around a bunch, when there has been no meta switch, but just between them. Those are the bottom level teams, like like Dallas did last year, like uh, Toronto did with I'm 37 and something. That is uh, a problem of uh, like committing to a roster, and then also it it is then just that you're soft resetting these players, and you can't expect them to play at the same level. Then these players like Vancouver Titans that have been playing these roles for God knows how long, right? So it's it's certainly something that I take into consideration. Does it concern you at all that his hit scan aim does not appear to be incredible? Like he doesn't pick up the McCree or the Widow or the Soldier or a bunch of the heroes that rely on actually having not not tracking because his tracer is well. I mean, his tracer isn't the, the most mechanically gifted. He's just an incredibly intelligent player with how he plays the tracer. But a lot of the roles that are more aim reliant. Uh, he he just doesn't play for the team. They they give those to Birdring instead, even when there would be opportunities for Profit to take it. Uh, you know, they they choose not to. Mm -hmm. Is that a hole uh, that worries you at all? No, because if we actually get into a position where you need two absolutely proficient mechanical beasts, I can trust him to learn even an off tank hero or uh, flex su uh, support or whatever isn't as mechanically requirement in the moment. I think. That, like once again, the smart player can. There are roads in Overwatch historically since the uh, the game has come out that don't require as much mechanics, and I think he would be able to, to then switch to these roads. Could you also not kind of fill his gaps with somebody else that complements him nicely? So if he if he, if you're saying he can't uh, fill the the hit scan DPS role. Obviously, depending on the meta, but couldn't you position him side by side with somebody, I don't know, like a like a DM or just somebody who, again, compliments him and, and fills those gaps up? Yeah, I mean, that's the classic theory, right? It's just that yeah. we haven't seen any metas that, I mean, I can't even think of why we would see this meta, but, I, you know, if you saw like a Widowmaker McCree meta or something, sure, a true. Profit wouldn't really have a place, but the, it's it's fair to say those metas, I can't even <laughs> the reason why that would even be the case, yeah. but maybe. Yeah, I feel like I'm more on the side of Yiska here in terms of I think he could pick up a lot of those heroes if he was given a little more time. His flaws with Sombra, I think he just probably didn't have that much time. And I do think there is a learning... 
I think a smart player should be able to learn Sombra, but I do think it's uh, there's a learning curve there. You can't just pick it up like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just feel like most of the time we haven't seen them uncertain heroes. More, so, I would guess. Again, this is this is just a guess that it's more so a case of burgering. What do you want to play? I will fill whatever you don't want to play, and I'm gonna kick ass on that hero. And I think Burdring probably more confident on the Widow than the Tracer, so Prophet never has had to learn uh, the Widow. Not that, not to say that he couldn't learn it, but then again, Widows are very uh, super insane, but I feel like that's an easier hold to fill. Like I said, I didn't really value mm -hmm. Hitscan DPS because I think there are quite a lot of players who are really good. Um, and yeah, because I'm also pretty, pretty high on um, Prophet. And he's going to come up on the um, f further down the list for several of us. So let's move on to pick number two. And again, reading uh, it out for our podcast listeners, me and Volamel have Prophet pegged in at number two. Um, Yiska has Alarm of the Fusion University at number two, and Saicho has Hoxel of the Vancouver Titans at number two. So we have talked a lot about uh, Prophet, so I think... You know, all, all of us agree that he's an exceptional pick. So let's hit the uh, other two that we haven't uh, talked about. So let's start with uh, you, Sideshow. Uh, why Hoxel at number two? Well, Hoxel's been a player that has been around in the scene right from essentially the beginning and has been a beast right from the beginning. And I think a player that hasn't even dropped off slightly in his ability to uh, play at such a high level um, uh, especially when we went into the goats matter and he has to change his role around uh, quite enormously has played some different roles for the Vancouver Titans before as well Has had to pick up the Lucio and the diva for them at times before um, and seems to have the drive and the talent to stay there at the top throughout the two years is a very good predictor to me that he will be able to stay at the top moving forwards. He's also really flexible. I think he's known for his Genji, but he actually is able to pick up a bunch of different picks and play at that kind of level. He doesn't really play the, the hitscan DPS, so that's another thing where you're like, all right, the, the guy does have holes in his hero pool. But with DPS, it like we were saying with Profit, it, it tends not to matter if you pair them with somebody else that's uh, pretty competent. And... I just feel very comfortable with him learning and being adept at whatever role he's put in. Uh, the fact that he was able to pound on Brig is, I think, uh, a strong plus for him that he is a highly intelligent player, that he, uh, he's very mechanically gifted. When you watch the heroes that he's put a lot of time into, man, does that guy just dominate. And then when you look at how he played on uh, on Brig as well, you're like, all right, this is a, a really smart player too. I also just think he's a great player to build a team around in terms of having somebody there that you know is like the tip of your spear on DPS that you can craft a team around and, and try and put him in the best position possible. I knew I there was going to be one pick that uh, I was going to kick myself over, and I think <laughs> it might be Hoxal. I think um, in the past, historically, his Genji has always been very... Uh, intuitive he he kind of falls into the same trappings and a player like Miro did where he overextends where he thinks he has an opening and, and gets punished for it but I think the lessons that he's learned with Brig um, lead me to assume that he might have solved that for himself um, and and having a mechanically dominant player like that sure up his biggest hole is the 
is the framings of a you know world star hall of famer type player so yeah i i, I feel you there that's uh that's the one i think that's gonna bite me in the butt yeah for hoxall i have to get a little psychological because he strikes me as a player that would have a big issue playing on a hybrid roster i think we so far have only seen him in the play in this incubator that is the runaway framework sure. and um i like just like the way he carries himself seems pretty immature honestly like he uses curse words as periods pretty much uh is what my korean friends tell me he's probably not that easy to uh to work with uh in terms of if you were to put him into uh, a completely new roster, I think he is someone that thrives off of that family-like uh, atmosphere they have. I, too, have Huxal on my list because I think a lot of what we said about Profit applies. Also, Huxal just has... it. It Like, if someone has a pick where he can play a hero to a style that completely counters the... the theoretical counter of the hero and also there are very few in the world that can catch up so for instance uh ding on pharah would be one right you can try now for instance if we were if we had played uh, this meta on with shanghai we i don't think we would have seen a, a pharah catch up quickly to ding i don't think we would have seen a genji uh, other than who are you uh, pick up to huxel any, anytime soon the things he did uh, against Far Mercies and whatever, that was exceptional. So for for a player to have that elite quality to just turn something theoretically within the game around that cannot be taught through st strategy, but just like pure excellence on a hero, that is something that really speaks for, uh, for him. I also, but for me, it's really the module, like, is he able to, can I put him in any other team? And there are my doubts with uh, Huxa. Yeah, I can I, see that. Yeah. I think with with the with the Korean player base being so large, with some of these players just banking on the fact that you'll be able to find no matter what, you will be able to find a team that they will be able to fit into. Um but I also think that the the idea that he wouldn't fit on another team is a fairly large assumption because we've actually never seen it play out either way. He's only ever been okay. in one team. So the as much as he uh, might appear to be uh, like a, a kid from the outside, it's he's never really had to go through that process of joining another team or be be forced to go through that. So that could mean that he will be able to go through it once he's forced to, or that he is actually just seems immature because he knows that the entirety of his team and he knows the dynamics within it. Um, I, I, I've never heard of the runaway organization being pissed off with Haxel in the same way that we have heard about teams being pissed off with uh, Fissure or the Koreans that were involved well, in yeah, um, yeah. the Boston Uprising or stuff like that. Sure. There's never been any drama or story of internal conflict within the runaway organization or the Vancouver Titans. Um, he just appears like that from the outside. So I don't know whether it's a fair assumption to then go from mm -hmm. that to I think he would struggle in other teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a double-edged sword. Like you can't make assumptions that maybe maybe he's just a kid outwards. But as soon as the uh, switch is flipped and you're in a team environment, maybe he's a perfectly fine teammate. But yes. at the same time, the reason he does slide down in my list is sort of that I, I am edging a little bit to the side of Visca in terms of 
uh, the fact that he hasn't played for a different team. Is is that because Haxel is just a good teammate behind closed doors, or is it because the runaway foundation is so strong that they kind of they have that bond yeah. that is never going to be broken? I, but I do definitely hear Sacho's point as well. The fact that he hasn't been removed from a team means he hasn't been a large enough issue to warrant that. If you look mm. at someone like Who Are You?, who you could compare, I think, to Huxley in, in a lot of ways. He has gone through that, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of teams. Yeah, and <clears throat> guys who are very uh, similar, similarly mechanically skilled have similar upside. Um, but you know, obviously, Huxley hasn't. Um, and it's very difficult to make assumptions. Now, I do uh, like the fact that he's eighteen. Uh, I do think he's a super carry on his best picks and but but the reason i slide him down a little further is based on basically what yiska said and also the fact that you know what what Sacho mentioned the fact that he doesn't have that uh hit scan prowess so that's why he slides a little bit lower but I, I do think he's it's an excellent pick with probably one of the highest upsides out of any other player so next up alarm at number two yiska Give us your case for Alarm at number two. I think that's a wild run. There's certainly people that might not even have them on the list. Um, so I was fortunate enough to met, meet Alarm on um, at uh, Atlantic Showdown. And I think we have a superstar in the making. It's not just that he's an absolute elite zen. I think if you put him in Overwatch League, he's instantly a top three flex support. But the way he carries himself is like if if we can sort of facilitate content around him i think we might have our first bad guy uh like showman in, in that regard he just has a certain swagger about him that will i think hit the overwatch league like a like a big explosion like a bomb and um also just he plays on a hybrid roster has been playing alongside uh two different uh main supports now he uh, consistently carries ridiculously. Yes, it is in contenders, but also seeing just his calm and coolness at the Atlantic Showdown, I don't think you can get this kid in a position where he starts choking. I think it's not possible. I don't even think he, he would be faced at all playing in, in front of the Staples Center or whatever. Like, surely you could mention this as a counter-argument that we haven't seen him on a world stage type of scenario. I think he's he's a freezer. He he won't care whatsoever. I love the alarm pick. I think he's I think he's a, an absolute beast. Um, my only concern with him and the reason that he is just the lack of history within the scene and uh, an experience at the top, like at the literal top. You know, mm -hmm. I, I it does seem like he will be a mainstay within the Overwatch League for a long time and should be moved up as soon as he becomes 18 and will become a, a top three. But that's, um, it's all kind of extrapolation. And that worries me slightly if I'm going to be actually locking in the guy for five years. Um, so I felt like he had to dribble down my list slightly just because I was unsure of my own confidence <laughs> mm. uh, of the fact that he didn't have a track record that extends for a long time of him uh performing at the top level but i i think he's a he, he looks like an absolute freak and i think he's going to dominate for a long time yeah i think it's very wishful thinking to think that he isn't hasn't found his way on our lists uh i, I do love the pick <laughs> as well 
okay. basically everything you said, I think it covers it. The reason he slides down for me as well is the fact that we haven't seen him in the league yet. Uh, but again, there's so much upside. I do feel like there's a path and a very re realistic path to him being the best flex sport in the league as soon as next year for Philadelphia yes. Fusion and giving them an incredible boost heading into next season. I think he is one of the most exciting rookie prospects heading into next year. And uh, yeah, I, I do feel like the fact that Fusion Uni have gone undefeated for so long in North America is, I think, in large part due to him. Because I, as as you watch these games and these fights, there is there's so many fights he just pulls out of his ass yeah. that they should not be winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. I will also say the reason that he slipped so far down my list is because I thought he turned 18 next July, not the end of this July. <laughs> yeah. so, so I was like, oh, you're going to miss the, the first year of, of having him. But uh, that was just mm -hmm. my brain. Okay, so you thought he you would be tanking one year and you would have still put him on your list knowing you only get yes. four years out of him. So if you yeah. knew when his birthday was, uh, where would you have put him? Would you have put him higher? Oh, yeah, 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 higher for sure. I just, mm, I don't know. I think he would have been in for fourth or maybe, yeah, fourth or fifth place for me. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on um, Alarm at two, Valma? I'm not going to lie. I can't, I, 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 he was on the short list, but I couldn't justify it for a lot of the reasons you guys are pointing out. I, I think he will, but I can't. If I was if I was to put this out out of board meeting and say, look, I need money for these players. Here are the reasons why. And I come to alarm and say, you know, he's a rookie prospect and he's never really played on, you know, the the biggest stage. And you know, all of these these questions, I don't know if I could justify it. I, I need personally a little bit more of a track record. He's played in contenders. He's looked incredibly dominant there. I need to see him tested a little bit more. Um, I I still think he's going to be incredible. I just don't know how incredible. I will also say this. This is a, an important factor. This kid will attract elite talent. He's in this group of players like Carpe and uh, I think Jonag is even on there too, even yeah. though that isn't as applicable here because they play the same role. But Korean elite players want to play with Alarm. They are on board and they are more on board on Alarm than they are on Jonag. And it, as such, that is a ridiculous vote of confidence for me. Where I was like, okay, so you get alarm, and then Carpe wants to join my team, and then also maybe uh, who, who's another like Erster or DM wants to join my team. That that is just hypothesizing, right? But that is definitely like as a magnet. Maybe I don't need to pay them as much because I can believably tell them that I'm going to create a championship team. Huge boon. Yeah, very good point. Okay, let's move on to pick three. At pick three, we have uh, Sideshow, Pick and Profit. Profit coming in at number three for um, Sideshow. And then we have both Volamil and Yiska having Twilight of the Titans at number three. And my pick that no one else had in their top tens is uh, Erster at number three that uh, Yiska just mentioned. So I think that's a good place to start because that's, I think, the the odd one out here, the one that we haven't discussed either and none of you guys have. So the reason I really like Erster is the fact that he, he kind of ticks all of those boxes for me that we discussed. First of all, he has the hybrid hero pool. He has uh, shown 
that he can play some some hits against. Obviously, he has played with DM a lot, so he has never had to show a widow. But he has filled on the tracer. He has filled on again. She has filled anything that his past teams needed for the other DPS player to thrive. He has also stepped in into an Atlanta roster that is mixed, and he has adjusted. He's played Brig. I think he has played an exceptional Brig as well. I think he's been sort of the one of the lone bright spots along with uh, Daco when, whenever he uh, gets in, into the server and gets to play on stage. I think those are kind of the, the lone true bright spots for Atlanta. And I just, I just rate him really highly because of that, because he has shown the ability to adapt, because he has that hybrid hero pool, and because he's only 19. And he has thrived in a, um, a multinational environment. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, Erster and why didn't you guys have him on your lists? I think Erster's, he, he looks like a beast when I've watched him in Contenders and I was very excited for him. But at the moment, he hasn't actually shown DPS prowess outside of Contenders uh, like Pacific for the most part. And then he was playing in China as well, right? So he's played in a bunch of areas where he hasn't really been tested or punished that much. He's been on a super team in a region that was not, well, I mean, in some senses floundering. The Pacific region was certainly floundering when he was farming over there. But uh, the Chinese region as well didn't really have anything outside of one team that was able, able to keep up. And so I think Erster just got to kind of dominate. Now, the fact that DM was his partner and was also dominating, but then came into the league and is dominating there as well, certainly speaks to the fact that Erster might be able to absolutely dominate uh, if he was playing those DPS picks in the Overwatch League. But I haven't seen it yet. And I think until I see it, there are just other flex DPS players in the league that I have more confidence in. Um, others that are uh, young as well. Um, I do think it's it's great that he was able to play such a good brig and work within a mixed nationality roster. But I also wouldn't say that that's the most functional mixed nationality roster in the world as well. And I can potentially see some issues floating on down the league where we find out that there was some beef internally within the team. You know, Daco has been benched a couple of times for who knows what reason, which presumably is something about Daco, but might be just something about how uh, Korean players themselves are working within that team. So yeah. th there are too many question marks for me to have Erster in my top yeah. 10. Sure, I, I definitely, it definitely makes sense because his body of work in Overwatch League hasn't been, um, again, be being stuck on Brig. I think that's very a very fair point. I, I do feel like when he was in China and when he was in that team, he was, you, you would say that he was probably the best or a top two player at least on that roster. And when you look at, just to put DM aside, look at the other players who have come into the league from that roster. I think everyone has performed really well. IDK has performed very well. Marvel and Michelle have certainly been uh, very, very decent. And Erster, I think, looked like the shining star on that roster when they were over there. So that's why I have kind of a lot of confidence in the fact that he showed a lot of heroes over there, the fact that he showed both hitscan and projectile prowess. I don't need I don't need the guy to be my best player, but the fact that he provides that flexibility, uh, even, granted it hasn't been shown on the, the brightest stage, I just feel pretty confident with the pick, especially since he was um, um, a very serviceable member on, on the break. And I, I do feel like if you would place Erster in the place of any other brig in the league, I don't think they, even the top teams, I don't think they would do worse with, with Erster in there. And, and in terms of him, yeah, maybe you don't really know how much, how he fits in an environment simply because there have been issues in Atlanta. They haven't performed very well despite 
Uh, I think Ursa are doing well, so that hasn't necessarily translated to wins. But I, I don't, from at least from what I've heard, I've never really heard anything bad uh, about Ursa in terms of him being a bad uh, teammate. So um... yeah, okay. So I, I, man, I'm really making all these Team Z arguments here, but I've he definitely heard that a decent chunk of Korean teams wouldn't give him tryouts, hmm. and he pretty much had to flee to Pacific. Um, in order to make it work, I I heard certain teams, like the uh, the buyout was still very competitive from what I understand. But um, yeah, that would I definitely yeah, heard the opinion high. that we're not even going to give him a a tryout. Interesting. Well, there, I I haven't heard those rumors, but mm -hmm. th that that's the interesting part of this as well because you don't really know how these guys yes. uh, op operate behind yeah. the scenes. But but Dude. from 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 what I've seen from from the hero pool, just from a competitive standpoint in terms of the player that he is. That's kind of what I'm looking for. That's the mold, mold of player that I'm looking for, which is why he came in uh, in that spot. At uh, and and he's only 19. He just turned 19, I believe. So let let me let me defend Ursa here though, because I think for what the Atlanta Reign required him to do this season, he he also played. I, I think if we look at playtime, he played a decent chunk of Diva. Yep, like control. Yeah, you, specifically. You yeah. wouldn't expect. Uh, a player that has this ego to completely swallow it, especially if someone else on your team is already rioting, right? You would expect him to go, oh yeah, I'm also in that, and then not to show up for practice and not to show up on the live server. He didn't seem to be doing that. I think he, maybe he had a um, a growth moment at the Atlanta Reign, mm -hmm. and I, I definitely can see how he took criticism to heart and has been very much like where the Atlanta Reign needed him to be this season. Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of from the outside looking in, that's sort of the judgment that I make as well. And the fact that he has done everything that has been required of him, that he can be the one, he can be, be the enabler. And I think that's the, if you look at, I think the historically in DPS metas, at least, the teams that have been most success, successful, they've usually had one guy who's like a hard carry and then another guy that enables that. You know, if we go all the way back into the Rogue days, like why was Rogue so successful? Because AKM could play two heroes that he was exceptional at and Twik enabled him, right? And I think if you look at the league today, I think that especially in a 2-2-2 in a meta, I think that still stands true. And the fact that he was, uh, he, he was very good on Brig, the fact that he could swap to other heroes, it goes back to the point that we discussed in terms of being a smart player and being able to adapt, maybe even maybe even reinventing himself into another role. If, say, my D.Va player or my off-tank player uh, isn't flexible enough, say he only plays D.Va and the meta hard shifts to a hog and he just can't play hog, I would trust potentially Urster to fill that role and save me, sort of like Prophet can save London when they realize that, well, Birdring cannot play Zarya in a GOATS meta, right? So that's... That's sort of my my reasoning for for that pick. Any other thoughts on Erster? I think he's an incredibly exciting player. I, I obviously covered China. Um, I've seen him just slap around teams for two seasons straight without much competition. Um, and to Minerals Point, like yeah, he was the standout player. Like DM was a fantastic tracer and and Widowmaker for that team. But the the things that Erster would do, you took notice of. Um, for me in particular. The only reason why he didn't make my top 10 was because I needed somebody. I felt like I needed somebody who was just going to support the other two carries. And, and that was Libero for me. 
So let's move on to Twilight because Yiska and Valmil both have him coming in at three. So Valmil, you can uh, continue on onto Twilight and why you have him at number three. Sure. Uh, he's uh, again the the kind of pillar of this whole team is to be flexible and, and to be incredibly adaptable and and show that you're here for a reason and you've been within competitive Overwatch within you know some of the top teams for, you know for a reason. Um, he doesn't seem to fall off. He seems to be incredibly adaptable. Talk about flexibility. This kid just plays everything. Um, he started off playing, you know, on you know a, a middling Korean team and, and showing the world what what a supportive, not in the sense of uh, the outside role, but actually in game a supportive Sombra could do. You know, playing dictating the team's pace around health packs and and showing that that this hero was actually quite broken. Um, that was Twilight for me. Um, He's always been a player that I've kept my eye on. This season, he's looked incredible on both Ana and Zen. I think he's easily somebody you could build around. He's mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He is, like, Twilight is the one exception where I broke my age limit rule. Wait, he's 21, is uh, um, the oldest player on my list. And the thing is that I keep hearing is that Twilight is incredibly smart. That by having Twilight on your team, you have another coach. He dictates so much of the in-game uh, decisions making as well. Has apparently an incredible ability to just map out in his mind what's happening. Also to uh, communicate it. He seems to, uh, because also maybe because of his age, seems to have a certain hierarchical role within the Titans. He's an MVP candidate this, uh, this season was already incredible last year. I don't think this guy is going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he slides down a little bit in my list because of because he is 21. And that's before I knew sort of the things you mentioned here in terms of him being super, super smart. But just if you exclude that, just mechanically, I think he there's no doubt that he's been the best flex support in the world this year. And um, he, yeah, I, I do think he's exceptional. And he's probably the best player. Uh, again, a lot of candidates for that on, on this Stack <laughs> Vancouver team. But could definitely make an argument that he is he is an MVP candidate as well. He's definitely in the top five. Uh, but age does slide him down a little bit in my list. And presumably for you as well, Sacho, right? Because yeah. you didn't rate him as highly. No, I actually don't have him on my top 10 list because I'm concerned about the factor. And it's not so much... I think when people talk about age or think about age from the fan perspective, they talk about a lack of mechanical ability once you get older. That's not what I'm worried about at all. I'm not worried that Twilight's going to get worse as he gets older. I'm worried that he's not going to want to play anymore mm. when he gets older. That is the number one killer for for like my idea of picking a franchise star, is picking somebody that's going to be driven for the next five years to stay on top. And, and he's already succeeded and done so much so far and he's at the age of, uh, and he's 21 right now a bunch of players are already retiring from the league because they're having to there's going to be so much travel involved next year and stuff or the pressures have been too much or they've already succeeded at whatever their goals have been that i am a little concerned that he wouldn't be there by the time this 5 year contract would uh, would end so I tended to pick players that were much younger and that I perceive as much more on the beginning of this trajectory uh, of of becoming a star. I, I'm not saying that Twilight's not a fantastic player. He would be my current season MVP pick. And I think the guy's uh, freakishly good. Um, it's just that I don't... I, I wouldn't feel confident picking him as my 
star moving forward because I feel like he's more of a person that fits into whatever team as well and might not uh, be there by the time it ends. Yeah, I think that's just the biggest concern. And beyond what you said in terms of drive, again, you can only speculate about that, but it is a reasonable point. And also just burnout. There's very few players who can play this game for five years and not just burn out. And he has had a long path here. He is 21. Do I feel like he's going to still be the player he is today when he's 26, which is essentially what we're talking about? You know, how 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 many years of prime Twilight are you going to get and how much is worth it? Now, am I going to get three years? Then actually, maybe it might be worth it to get three years of prime Twilight. And then towards the end of the towards the end of that, it's going to fizzle out. But even then you think, well, Alarm just provides so much upside and brings so much upside to the table that probably a higher pick obviously Yiska did have alarm over twilight and i think that's that's the case you make like alarm does look hungry he is on on the up and up he's only 17 turning 18 and by the end of that contract he would be you know 22 23 so just a lot more just a much much safer option but i do think you know if if we were building a team to win this season or win next season, he's probably the number one pick for a lot of people. And same same way, I think Mana would probably be uh, one of the primary picks for most people. But because he is twenty three, he would be twenty eight. He just kind of falls out of this conversation altogether for for all of us. Obviously, spoiler alert: no one had Mana in their top ten. And uh, I mean, Saicho had Profit. We've already pretty much discussed Profit. Uh, not much to cover there. So let's move on to the fourth pick. And here we have me and Saicho picking Jonak of the New York Excelsior, Iiska picking Sinatra, and uh, Volamel has Gushia here at number four. Uh, so I guess we can start with um, Jonak. And we, we already mentioned Twilight. And for me, when I made this selection personally, I, I knew I had to have Twilight, Alarm, and Jonak in some kind of order. So for me, the biggest challenge was okay, how do, I, how do I order these guys and who do I prioritize? And I chose to put Jonak number one in, in, in that discussion simply because, one, he, he is a league MVP. He is popular. He has a skin in the game. He is a guy who brings yes. a, lot, a lot of marketability. Even though he doesn't have a personality, his personality is that kind of silent killer and people still gravitate towards that because he has some kind of a cool element to him, right? Beyond that, his, I, I think he has struggled a little bit struggled for for him i don't think he has been as impactful as he was last year obviously the meta is different we're heading into, into two to two as well he is exceptional on ana he is exceptional on zen and i don't think there's any player who has that kind of body of work who has proven himself that much who's a stage champion who is a league mvp and is still only 19 there's still half a year before he even turns 20 so i, I still think there's upside there's still something to unlock for Jonak and what uh, to the point that Yiska mentioned in terms of being able to attract talent, he is. Granted, Yiska mentioned that Alarm might might be even ahead of Jonak in in that discussion, but I do feel like Jonak is a player who, who everyone wants to play with. He you can see him terrorizing solo queue in these brutal three stacks with some of the best Korean players. So I do feel like he's going to help me attract talent as well. Um, uh, Sacho, you obviously agree with, with me on, on that? Yes, side. yes, I, I agree with all of that. And I would also say that he is a player that defines a style of a team. Uh, you you can play around Jonak and, and set your style that way. And also that I think his, he tends to get overlooked a little, even in this year's MVP discussion, 
because of the fact that he won last year and was so dominant with his Zenyatta, his Anna this year has been outrageous. His Anna is just statistically across the board the best Anna. Uh, he pumps out ridiculous amounts of uh, of work on both his healing, his bio nades are fantastic. He's actually so smart with how he plays and syncs up. When they were playing the, the Sombra Goats kind of style, I was watching a bunch of VODs where Sabi Orbi would be harassing someone in the back and suddenly Jonak kills the guy that he's harassing. Nobody else in the world is looking at the, those players apart from Jonak and Sabi Orbi. And Jonak's just getting picks in the back line as like Anna by throwing like Kobe Bionades and stuff. And the, the, the guy's a freak. And I, I think that uh, the, the only downside I can find with Jonak is that uh, some of his... Transcendence usage in high-pressure scenarios has gone very weird this yeah. year. Uh, very, very strange. And I don't know what the reason for that is, whether that's him crumbling or because normally he was such a big playoff player as well. He would actually step up in those scenarios. But this year he's he's been a bit weird. I don't know whether that's the team panicking or whether it's him or something like that. But either way, I think that this guy is certainly somebody that's on the beginning of their trajectory of being good, and he's already so good. And he's had two seasons at the top playing in one of the most dominant teams of all time. And he's looking outrageous still. Yeah. I mean, to add to that point, I do definitely agree. Like, that's the only um, negative thing I can find about him is the fact that his transcendence, transcendence usage has been very questionable. It's also been, it's also a little bit different and why I feel more comfortable picking him going into a 2-2 two -two -two meta because if he is playing Zen, it's, it's, completely different in terms of how you use transcendence because in the goats meta it's kind of there's so many more factors right you usually want want to save it for gravitons but there might be times where if you don't use your transcendence your team has taken too much damage if you don't use it your team is going to lose the fight anyway and then you end up sort of in the middle ground where you don't know if you're going to pull the trigger very difficult to use it against sombras obviously sombra probably is going to be uh, in the meta heading into next uh, stage or into a 2-2 meta anyway but a lot more factors to consider, I think, than in general two to two dive meta, where you know it's I think a little bit easier to to utilize the transcendence. And another point in favor of Jonak, I think, is everything I've heard about him is that he is just a robot that doesn't care about anything else except for Overwatch. And to me, that that's reassuring in terms of the discussion we had about drive. I don't think he lacks any drive. I think he he lives and breathes Overwatch, and everything we've seen kind of. Um, uh, backs that up uh, because of how good he was. Um, Val Milanius, any thoughts on on Jonak and uh, having him at top four? My only problem being not a dis not yet displayed an ability to play on a hybrid roster, and I think okay, I don't want to presume too much into uh, other people's cultures, but it seems to me empirically that. Koreans have a little bit of a bigger problem integrating into other uh, into other systems than um, than uh, for instance Chinese players would have across esports history. So um, there's certainly like that doesn't necessarily have to have any sway on Jonek. That's just the information I have yeah. available on him. So um, yeah, that's that's the one thing. I mean, also. Of course, we didn't include buyout clauses here, right? In anything like that, but he would be the most expensive on this list, yeah. certainly <laughs> in a cost cost benefit analysis. 
we would we would have evaluated this differently, but yeah, well, yeah. For for the purpose of the exercise, we're not thinking about how much money are we gonna play. It's just kind of who's who's the most valuable, and yeah. But yeah. I mean, the buyout clause kind of backs that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. No, I I, I don't fundamentally disagree with anything yeah. that was said. I do I do think it's a great point though, because in in terms of him, not I think you almost have to build a Korean full Korean roster around him. Um, maybe he would fit in a mixed roster, who, who knows, but certainly with Alarm, you do have, proof, like the proof is in the pudding, he has excelled in uh, in a mixed roster. So, Balmel, uh, yeah, any thoughts? Um, not too much to add other than, you know, obviously repeating what's been said, incredibly talented player, very flexible. The only reason why he's not higher on my list is because I, I already had Twilight and I, I feel like he's the, the safer pick. Um, I have my questions about Jonek. Obviously, when we have seen him struggle, it's been with the decision making under pressure for me. It's always been, you know, it, it late into a series, their backs are against the wall. Things start to look a little wonky. Um, especially with his transcendence usage, but at the end of the day, he still is one of those just hyper specific players that you can put him on this 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 role, even if it's not meta, and and just be incredibly dominant and build a style around. So that's why I still value him very very highly, even though he's you know a bit farther down on my list. Um, still incredibly talented, and if Zen ends up being meta, then he's just going to be one of the best, obviously. So uh, still yeah. incredibly good, but I I. It was more of a question of who do I value more, you know, Twilight or Jonak, and I just went with Twilight. I guess that is one addition I would make. If someone was to put a gun to my head and say, okay, here's a 4v5 situation for your life. Your team is down with four players. The opponent has five players. You can either choose Jonak or Alarm in that situation. I'm not thinking twice about who has the bigger clutch factor in that situation, and Alarm takes that every time. Granted, I do think Jonak is extremely clutch. I think he has saved New York Excelsior in a lot of um, scenarios. Sure. Much in the same ways, yeah. Yeah. So, Gushia, we've already discussed at length Falamel's fourth pick. Um, so I think we can just touch on Sinatra being at number four for uh, Yiska. So give us your case for Sinatra at number four. Okay, that is the wild, wild one out here, right? There, there's certainly people that didn't pick him. Um, so... Sinatra, to me, I was honestly very much concerned after the first season. Like he, It wasn't really that he established himself as an elite tracer. I honestly thought his career was probably going nowhere at this point. Like He was probably... Striker was signed on. That was it. Like As soon as we have a tracer meta, he's out. Whatever other meta, I'm not confident that he's going back. It's a hybrid roster. They could run, theoretically, a completely Korean team other than Moth. And then I would say it is predominantly Sinatra's quality that kept this roster from being a primarily Korean roster uh, this season. Sinatra is an MVP candidate in my, my books. His ability to, I think, the last season and then also the preseason humbled him a lot, where he realized, okay, I. I got to do something so I can uh, maintain my career here. And he did so impressively. Like, we talked about about it before the episode that there was some transitional property between Zarya and uh, Tracer. I don't think that actually holds up that much anymore in Overwatch as we know it nowadays. Now it's, it's a role. It's not a mad fragging role that Sinatra was known for. 
where he goes on the flank and just kills people in spawn. It's a role where you need to be entwined or in tune with your uh, team's synergies and strategies and tactics. And he impressively did so. So he, for me, he had a, as a player, he matured a lot. His improvement over the season was imp impressive to me. And I don't, he's also very young, turned 18 last mid of last season. So, yeah, definitely that was uh, a reason. Also, like, let's be honest, he's one of the best Western players. I want to make sure I get Western players because I want to actualize my, uh, my idea that the hybrid roster is the best approach to go with. And that for me starts with Sinatra. Yeah, I mean, you'll go on, Sinatra. Yeah, I'm, I was just going to say, I think I agree with the Sinatra pick. I just think it's a little too high up. I've got Sinatra on my list. I just think it's a little too high because I don't think... So let, let me start with the positives for why I, I agree with you. I think that underneath the coaching of Krusty, he has made the highest development out of any player we've ever seen in the Overwatch League and perhaps in Overwatch. He's gone from being somebody that was previously only known as a toxic little shitlord who was pretty good at like individual mechanics to being a leadership figure on a champ like a championship level team playing a different role and being uh, uh incredibly good at that role um a genuine mvp candidate um that that's an extraordinary development and he's very young he's still only 19 um my issue is entirely with his flexibility and his ability to actually play DPS heroes to an incredibly high level. I don't know if I would feel confident fielding him on much outside of Tracer in a DPS meta when he's on, uh, even Tracer. He's on the San Francisco Shock with guys like Striker and Architect and Rascal. I'm struggling to find the place in that team unless he has made significant developments in his hero pool since last we saw him, which he might have done. But that would be a large assumption to say that his individual ability is enough to place him on the starting roster in a, in a large amount of metas. Yes, we've only really seen him under Krusty in stage four as a tracer where he made a big development, to be fair. He, he actually went from being a very... Uh, individually focused player to a very smart player just over the course of stage four in how he was playing the tracer. Um, and then we've only really seen him to be fair to Sinatra as a Zarya player. So perhaps if it had been a very DPS focused meta, we might've seen him play a bunch of different DPS, but at the moment we really haven't. And I, and I would feel uncomfortable picking him highly on this list. Um, even with all of the positives that I do genuinely see just because I don't know whether he's going to be able to cut the mustard or Yes. Valdo, any thoughts? I think, uh, particularly to, to Yiska's point, um, I'm not as high on um, hybrid rosters. I think the more that I hear on the outskirts of the Overwatch League, like, the more that I hear that culturally things just sometimes just don't work out. And I think you have to seriously vet the players. Um, that's not something that I have the information to be able to do. Um, obviously, if I was a GM, I could figure that out. Uh, but... I think for the purpose of the exercise, I tried to keep it within what I've known to work. And that's been um, single, mostly single language rosters outside of a few specific players that have shown to be um, exceptions. But other than that, yeah, I do think I, I agree with a lot of the points. He's, he's definitely shown the most improvement um, 
to Sideshow's point, probably out of anybody that I've ever seen in, in Overwatch. Um, yeah, I, I think he is a very good player, just not correct for my team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pretty much echo everything you guys said. I think what is encar- really encouraging about Sinatra and why he also makes my list is the fact that he has matured so much, at least from the outside looking, it looks like he's matured mm-hmm. a tremendous amount and he's still only 19. Uh, based on what Yiska said as well, the fact that he has thrived in the mixed roster, that that helps me as well. The fact that he, if you really make a list of Western DPS players, he's still, granted there are hero pool issues, granted it, it's difficult to see him excelling in the next meta, considering the beasts that he has uh, as, as teammates on the bench. Um, I still feel like he's one of the better Western players. I think he's very popular. Uh, you, you can build your your brand around him as well. Yeah. And if granted, I don't want to put too much value on the goats meta, but maybe if that's if if performance and goats meta factors ten percent or fifteen percent of my decision, that ten or fifteen percent, boy, did he impress in that ten oh, yeah. or fifteen uh, percent. I think if he finds his way into the starting roster for shock heading to the next stage, if he can reinvent himself, and he doesn't even have to excel, if he just plays on stage and the shock go five and two. In stage four, I don't see how you can, even if they don't, again, yeah. there's no stage finals, but three stage finals appearances. Yeah. I think the best Zarya in, in the league. I don't see how he's not the MVP this year. And if you think, if, if he wins the MP, MVP, which I think he probably will, same thing as Jonak. Very a huge increase in popularity. Definitely a guy you can build around. I do I do have worries, like Sacho said, in terms of his hero pool. Uh, he does have a very good uh, Doomfist. But yeah, it, it's difficult to pin where like this is where Sinatra is really, really good. These are the heroes where he's definitely shown that he can excel. And I, I do think he's flexible to the point where he can play them. Can he be the carry? Can he be the second best player on the championship roster on a DPS pick, I'm not sure. We have to see. We have to see what he's um, added to his hero pool. It's going to be interesting to see. Can my team win with him as like the third or fourth best player? Definitely. I think I think he can definitely do that. And the fact that you can build the mixed roster around him as well gives me confidence in that pick as well. But yeah, I do think that Saito's concerns are definitely valid. So he kind of slides down from top four for me um, as well. Any any closing thoughts on, on Sinatra before we move on? Not personally. Okay. Let's head into pick five, where I have Alarm coming in at the top five. We have Sideshow with Bumper and uh, Volamil with IDK and Yiska with Space of the Los Angeles Valley. And so number five, Woo! very, very All juicy. Right. I think I think I'm going to mostly stay away from my pick. We've already talked about Alarm a lot. Uh, I kind of discussed why I, I put him... Slightly lower than Jonag. It's mostly the marketability aspect, the fact that we haven't seen Alarm, but definitely someone who is exceptional, so we can skip over Alarm. Boy, where do we even start? Uh, <laughs> how, how about um, uh, Yiska with Space? Okay, so Space. Top performer on the uh, on the uh, off-tank role has also been part of this improvement process has demonstrated to me that he can be a team player in in terms of uh, taking a step back maybe um, in order to improve the team. So I'm never going to have any team chemistry issues with him. I think he does speak his mind to the point where he makes himself heard so he doesn't get overrun, which sometimes is also an issue with um, you know these, st- these star players 
that really don't understand that they also have some power behind their say and should dictate to a degree where the team is moving. I think he uh, he's already pretty mature in that. I the did I mention that he yes I mean hybrid roster um, ability. Uh, also, once again, I have to say, like I value that. Uh, like if I want a Western uh, or a hybrid, an international team, then the Americans are the ones I'm building around. Yes, we probably don't have the the audience in that regards in in terms of the sheer numbers. But you, like it is about the quality and the amount of money that the individual user pays first and foremost for my franchise, right? If it's about my economic bottom line, so. Um, they're like getting the American audience. He will probably always be a starter on uh, Team US as, as well. His his market uh, current market uh, value is uh, already um, pretty high. I would say he comes off as marketable, even though the like the valiant have other people that are they currently can market like Custa or whatever. But um, in terms of, of as a player, I think he also has shown that he is an incredibly smart player that can, and on top of his his in, internal attitude towards improvement, I think I could throw just about anything at him as well. Probably doesn't have the me mechanical uh, um, prowess there, but I think from what I've seen and I've talked to co the coaches, um, in a, in a for a bigger feature piece, I think this guy could actually develop not only into a glue guy but into an actual leadership uh, position where he becomes someone that facilitates his team to be better than the the parts that they um, that they are made up of. I'm going to throw three words at you, Yiska, and I want you to defend them. Okay, diva one trick. Um, well, he only has shown that, that. I mean, okay, he did play Sombra. Some yes. it wasn't good. So, yes. So my <laughs> issue is he's they've the team has kind of attempted to run space on a bunch of different stuff in the past, and it's always fallen through. And I don't think we're in an era of Overwatch anymore where Diva is going to be played like a lock-in. In fact, I think it's actually going to go from one of the most hard-stuck roles in Overwatch to be in one of the most unknowable roles in Overwatch. I don't have a single D.Va player in my top 10. And if I did, Fury would be by far and away the number one that I would pick because the guy's an absolute freak on a bunch of different roles and his D.Va's outrageously good as well. But I, even for Fury, I couldn't put him in the top 10 because I just don't know whether... D.Va is such a specialized role and all of the D.Va players we currently have have basically only played D.Va as their primary role for at least two years. And uh, they, a lot of them don't have the flexibility to be able to maneuver outside of that role. Or if Space had been a DPS player or a Zarya player or something like that in the past, I might have confidence. Or if he, if he, even if he had been that in the past, I'm not even sure that he would have been picked up for the Overwatch League. I, I just feel like he got in based on the D.Va performance, and I don't have the confidence that he would be able to switch off it. Mm -hmm. to, to add to that... Because I completely agree with Sideshow's sentiment in terms of not just space, put space aside, off tanks in general. I do feel like it's one of the biggest unknowns and a reason why I only had one off tank, not in my top 10, in my top 20. 
I had Fury somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. I didn't have a single off tank beyond him. Simply because what you said, almost if you look across the league, just space aside, so many of the off tanks are just Diva one tricks because that's the only thing they had to play for three years. And eventually that's going to fall out of favor. And what do I have? Do I know that this exceptional diva player is still going to be an asset three years down the road or is he going to rot on the bench? If he, if, he, if I can put him in the server, then he's not going to, doesn't matter how marketable he is, if he's not on the server, that value drops as well. And that's why I just, I didn't value off tank players at all. And this is to Space's defense and to Jiska's defense, he has shown a very strong hog. I think he has a beastly hog. So if that comes into the meta, I, I think the Valiant would be fine. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with the meta? I Maybe we'll see double off tank or double main tanks. Certainly there have been situations where teams have ran these weird compositions with Vancouver, I think, in stage one. Uh, on certain stages, you saw them playing Janu on the ball and then Bumper on the Winston. Granted, I don't think that's going to be meta, but I think there's probably going to be some flexibility. It's certainly five years down the road. And if I haven't seen more than one or one and a half heroes from you in two years, I just can't comfortably put you in uh, uh, in top 10. Yeah. Off tank is going to go from the role that had the least flexibility to the most flexibility. Uh, and that's a crazy time to be in for Overwatch. Uh, I, maybe not most flexibility in terms mm -hmm. of like DPS, sure. sure but like yeah. Most varied, weird role. Because the mm -hmm. difference from D.Va to Zarya to Hog is really quite large. Uh, and mm -hmm. throw Wrecking Ball in there as well. And like, yeah, you've got a you've got a very deep hero pool, like in terms of the different skill sets required. Valmel, you were I think shaking your head when you saw the space pick. What are your I, thoughts? I I I understand the the way that it was framed. I also need to figure out who is impersonating Yiska because the arguments that he posed were not inclusive of what I assumed that he might argue for for a player like space. Um, when I, when I look at the player, when you frame it the way that you did, I, I definitely see it. But if you're going to look at, you know, a, a, what is essentially a diva one trick that, you know, speaks English that can play on, on a, you know, a mixed roster. Why not a player like Choi? I, I, I can't not gravitate towards him. He fills all, he checks all the boxes. I don't necessarily get a lot of the tertiary like world cup stuff that I don't think that necessarily plays. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't impact me a whole lot. Um, I, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me because my parameters are different. I, I just, it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I think to, um, a space's defense, I, I do agree with the, the points that I think he's the best Western off tank. I do feel like he is going to be a mainstay on the team USA roster. I also feel like he's very, very liked pretty much among yeah. all the western talents so again oh, for sure what we talked about attracting talent i think almost all western players want to play with space there's no one who dislikes him so if you can put him in the server and get value out of him there i think there's a lot of all the intangible qualities that yiska actually mentioned are very very valid more, more so than i think almost any other player Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just from talking to the Valiant about what Space has been doing behind the scenes when he's not even been fielded, he still had a huge impact on the team. I, I think my only and biggest issue with Space is, I'm sure. not sure if I could field him. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
speaking of guys who you could field, Bumper at number five. <laughs> All right. I knew I knew I had to go hard on space so that Bumper would seem more yeah. reasonable. <laughs> but I feel like the I feel like the perennial Bumper defender, and 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 especially for this, I feel like for this task in particular, Bumper is a reasonable pick because Bumper has been playing for a long time. And Bumper has been playing a variety of roles. Bumper has always been very good on whatever role he has played. He hasn't necessarily been style-defining on his previous roles, but he's been able to play on top teams to great success on a variety of roles. He is also the team leader for Vancouver, despite not being the oldest player on the team or perhaps even the most skillful player on the team. He has that uh, leadership charismatic quality. He's also fire in terms of his marketability. I mean, this guy's just like uh, ridiculous. You were talking about Alarm being like the, the bad boy and stuff. I, I feel like Bumper's been the first step for people figuring out that you can have like a bad boy image, even though Bumper's just the most lovely, cuddly little bear of a human being. But just because the way that the Vancouver Titans came into the league and, and, uh, and kind of uh, dominated he's not afraid to to talk about a trash and then but never in a disrespectful kind of way um in a in a way that always is uh playful and goading rather than just being like he actually hates somebody he seems like he's got a great personality for being able to fit other people in i feel like people would enjoy playing with bumper they might not want to play with bumper because he's so crazy but they would enjoy playing with him if they were actually on his team i feel just from all the 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 vibes that i get around the guy and from talking to the people involved with the vancouver titans and talking to harsh and just a, a big cuddly figure um but more so than that he just the fact that he's played for a long time and been able to play every role and is style defining on his current role. And I feel that I could take him and put him in a variety of different teams on whatever role and, and would have a centerpiece figure for the franchise. And you couldn't really go wrong with it. I think it, it they have found a style that works incredibly well around him and they've been the most dominant team we've ever seen. You know, they, they are the greatest team in Overwatch history right now. And, and I agree with Bumper as a mainstay of the roster. Uh, that's that, that's a vote of confidence for me. Good job uh, defending Korean Fraggy right there. Nice. <laughs> 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 so I think this guy's going to be washed in the next two years. I, I don't see, like, unless there's some miraculous role where it's like, okay, we're introducing, like, uh, like a hero, like in Heroes of the Storm, Abathur, who's like, just like looks down upon everyone and just says, go right here and go right here. And here, I dropped a med pack for you. This kid is not going to uh, have a um, a career for, I mean, too long. The biggest thing for me, honestly, has been with main tanks is that I think that we're slowly moving into a position from game design where it isn't okay to have bad aim. It just doesn't, like, Hammond was the first move. I, I honestly could see that uh, extending because uh, mechanics apparently are also such a big fun creator for a lot of players that I think in the future we will see more main tank heroes. And by by God, dude, like, he he's the pro player I would have actually given Bren, like, to to <laughs> Riddlemaker <laughs> against. Like, <laughs> no, I, I think... Um, 
yeah, I, I'm not confident uh, that Bumper could sustain a career over five years. What about if he didn't have to play main tank though? Because the guy is a main tank at the moment, but he don't, wouldn't necessarily sure. have to play that. He, like he could play the main support like he has done in the past. Mm -hmm. He could play the off tank because the guy's played Diva and he's actually played a nasty hog even this season. His hog actually looked pretty clean when he pulled it out. Um, do you do you not think there's any value in having no, this no, guy no. just to be able to play a bunch of different roles? No, no, definitely. I'm also merrily defending my not picking him in my list. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, um, yeah, I think like especially there, there's still this you know incubator feeling of like how how good are the pieces outside of Runaway, and I think Bumper doesn't strike me as one of the ones that could independently uh, work as well. Like you pretty much have to once again create a style around him in in many meta situations. Um, sure. He has been able to adapt to certain other roles. That's probably the best defense for him um, being able to adapt. But like for me, Huxal, for instance, or Twilight seem to be the better pieces to put outside of that team's ecosystem or just like social circle. And for him to also still like maybe like he seems like he's the type of player that's just like, oh yeah, I'm hanging around with the buds. Um, we're also holding some noobs. Oh, the butts don't want to play anymore. Going anyone else? Oh, I had a fun ride. So let's. Mm. Host mm, that's an interesting point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. What a way to piece it out. I mean, that would be. Now that you mention it, that would actually be so bumper. <laughs> like if if a couple of people left from Vancouver, he's like, ah, well, it's been fun owning you all, but I'll uh, I'll send you pics from my private yacht on Instagram. Be sure to follow me. Peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I personally I would probably have him in my top twenty, so I'm, I land somewhere in the middle, but but it's just it's not a confident pick. It's more of a pick where I I do value main tank. I do feel like he has that flexibility in terms of uh, playing different roles. I do think he is very marketable, like Satcho said. But to me, there's just so many question marks. I think I feel like there are yeah he is playing um his style kind of defines. The Titans, but I also think there are a lot of situations where the Titans have won in spite of Bumper because of how exceptional all the other players are. And I would actually, heading into a 2-2-2 two -two -two meta, I would pick Huxel, I would pick Slime, and I would pick Twilight all ahead of Bumper. And if I knew that D.Va would be a mainstay, I would also pick Janu. So he lands quite low in, in that list for me, and I, I do feel like he's a very volatile player. I'd, he might as he he could be kind of the glue that just defines um, a practice room in terms of the chemistry. But I can also see what Yiska says where he might just retire because he's bored. So it, it, there's just so much volatility for me and I feel like I can't really commit, especially going into top five, I can't commit to someone like that uh, where I, I just don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, what do you think, uh, Valmo? I, I, I genuinely don't know exactly how beneficial being able to be flexible on your roles is going to be with Overwatch, you know, trending the way it, it, it is. Um, I think if that is going to be your your kind of argument, then I, I wonder if he can surpass people who have been playing that role for so long. I feel like he'd just be behind the eight ball. And if you do keep him on main tank, like Mineral said, I, I I just don't see him outside of being your kind of star player almost, like the guy that you have to build your team around. 
um, to, to make it work. I, I just don't see it. I, I have my other, you know, uh, bizarre main tank pick that could possibly dictate a style, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay. So let's, before we uh, get to that or we get closer to that, let's close with uh, IDK at number five. Very, very high, I think. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of the thought process of, of the top five is I, I wanted to fill out the kind of starting six, um, to a degree obviously it's not how it panned out just because I, I value certain players a little bit more but it's a role that i still didn't have just yet and i think that idk has been a standout on spark he's been a standout on africa he's been a standout on lucky future i think this guy just doesn't go away i do i i, I would say that if i had to go back and reevaluate the pick i wonder if the age thing i think that's something that you guys thought about quite heavily and i i'm not even sure how old the guy is he might 20. be one of those he, yeah he might want to be one of those players that might be burnt out because he's been grinding at this game for so long it's a possibility i i think maybe he'd be a two to three year player and sadly he's the only main support i have but i still think he's incredibly talented i think he can be a leader i i, I want to say that he probably has been a leader before um now yeah, I, I can't really speak too too highly too not i don't know what i'm trying to say not too much highly i don't know I can't speak highly enough of him. There we go. That's that's what I meant. So so I do have IDK in my top twenty, but I have slime ahead of him. Why why IDK over slime? It's it's probably just because of historical precedent. He's just been a player that I've personally not interacted with, but have followed a little bit closer than. But yeah, I, I mean, I could see slime. I could see IDK. Either or for me personally, it it was it it wasn't even really even trade off. It slime just doesn't really stick out. And now that you you mentioned it, he probably should be there. To be well, clear. the reason that I I have IDK on my top ten, uh, but he comes in at number ten. But the and the reason that I punted for IDK above slime and people like that is that I know he can play a very good Mercy and Lucio, and I know that he's a team leadership figure. Uh, and and caller for them, which I'm not sure what Slime's role on the team is exactly in terms of the the leadership and communication structure. And he's also very marketable. I know that he only speaks Korean, and so that might not have got through to a bunch of Western fans. But IDK's a baller. He actually spits fire in interviews. He's a really good interview uh, candidate. He just hasn't been built up that much as that kind of uh, role, uh, like. Um, central figure for the team. Mm -hmm. But he's willing to trash talk. He knows a lot about the game. He's able to speak articulately and would be a good kind of centerpiece for the franchise in the way that I feel like Slime would just slide straight under the radar. Um, and I'm not quite sure about what his role on the team is in terms of like leadership and stuff like that. So I am I would be willing to take a punt on IDK. Yes, we don't really know how it would go if it ends up being like a Zen animator or something like that. But he's been playing for so long um at a very high level and was one of the people that i was like how has nobody picked this guy up for the overwatch league he's just incredible and then this year a bunch of people apparently wanted to pick him up for for whatever reason they didn't realize last year and um uh, and and that extends throughout mercy and lucio so i i feel yeah, like you, you tell him sideshow argue my point yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> Like what I don't understand is it's okay. What well, okay, maybe you don't buy into the so if I was to put a main support in, which I didn't, for me the only candidate, and I'm not sure if I would have even put him in the top twenty because I don't think main support is a very good uh, role to pick 
to build your franchise on because nobody cares about uh, main supports for the most part. We had this glimpse of excitement about Jexay. Who's that narrative now? Nobody cares. Yeah. So um, I think in general, it's a very replaceable role. Um, and it, I'm not sure, like, I, I, but if I was to pick one, it, for me, it would have been Moth. Simply be, uh, based on the information that I've gathered, once again, my hybrid roster, he's able to um, just like have this or introduce a uh, the coach's ideas into into the uh, team. So IDK strikes me as a player inherently that also won't have five more years uh, in the Overwatch League now that he's played. Like when did this guy start? Was it two thousand? Yeah. Early 2017. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the same. That's pretty similar for Moth, isn't it? I mean, he was around in 2017. Yeah, but he didn't but really, really have a breakout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I think that another thing to keep in mind with IDK, though, is that you have access to all of the. So the mixed roster idea is lovely, but just because somebody speaks English doesn't mean that you have access to the entirety of the Korean talent pool. True. Because there are a bunch of players on there that don't want to play mixed rosters or can't because of their language skills. Mm -hmm. So it's even arguable that going for a mixed roster would even net you a higher benefit than going for somebody that only speaks Korean. And I think IDK is is actually playing on a mixed roster at the moment. Like he has Gushue in the middle of his team in, in the sure. Hangzhou Spark. And they've been forced to maneuver their communication structure. At the beginning of the year, they did say they were communicating in English. I, God knows what the hell they're communicating in at the moment. It can't be English. I, I just simply don't believe that that team is communicating fully in English. But they, they are doing something that is combining the two and shows that they can work within some kind of weird uh, communication system. So I, I wouldn't really rule IDK out of being in a mixed roster. And I think that it opens you up to more uh, Korean stuff as well. Yeah. And while I don't necessarily, I, I don't necessarily agree with, um, and maybe it was my misunderstanding of, of the exercise, but I, I didn't, um, I, I, I felt like you need a main support, not only because it's, it's the role that historically has been where your, your leadership guy tends to, to fall, but he's also a playmaker like IDK on the spark, at least in this meta and, and metas previously has been a, a guy that can save you can be can be very clutch um just he he's he's a solid solid player solid role i don't think the role is going anywhere and and maybe that's maybe where a lot of my picks might differ um i, I maybe just have a different look at you know how the future of the game might unfold but yeah i think solid main support not a not a role that i would sink a ton of uh you know uh, budget into but i think i do guys a, a good shout yeah. marketability like size or shed yeah I, I do like idk he is in my top 20 um i had again slime ahead of him he, he's younger obviously you can argue he hasn't shown he has played mercy but he hasn't shown it on an overwatch league stage that he can be exceptional at that moth i really do like as well uh the reason he doesn't make my top 20 in this exercise is because he's i think 22 so even though I really like him as a player, I think he's one of the best players to also kind of build around. If you want mm -hmm. to build around a main support, uh, he's he's just you know, he's twenty two. So yeah, Grand and Moth is also a guy that will definitely like. He's I don't want to leak anything, but he's very smart in terms of um, what he also did outside Overwatch or before. Yeah. So he definitely has a life to go back to. It's not like he's mm -hmm. now caught in this ecosystem where he has to become a coach or whatever. He could just go 
like if people remember uh, in League of Legends, Snoopy, who now works for, I still think, Facebook, maybe? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Like, who mm -hmm. could transition easily into a business career or whatever afterwards. But is that a good thing? Most of the time, you want players that are just kind of lifers. If that's who you're going to build for five years, you don't want somebody that has a plan B, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, mm -hmm. why I couldn't justify Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. Okay, let's move on to uh, pick six. Here we have uh, me picking Fleta. We have Yiska with Jonak. We have Saicho picking Super. And we have Volamil picking DM. So Yiska has uh, Jonak here. I think we talked about Jonak. Anything you want to add before we tackle the uh, the big boys? No, I think everything has been said about Jonak. Okay, so I guess I can I can start with my pick and then we'll move on to the others. Fleta again. I, I I would I feel like I would be repeating myself a lot in terms of uh, my parameters. I think a lot of what I said about Erster applies here too. The reason I have him a little bit behind Erster is the fact that he is essentially right around uh, a year older uh, but i still feel like kind of the arguments that we had against erster apply that don't apply to fleta because we have seen him both carry kids back in korea for the longest period <laughs> of time and we've also seen him excel in the overwatch league he is a hybrid he has shown a, an exceptional Widowmaker. he has uh, shown prowess on the projectiles he can fill pretty much all roles he does fall a little bit in terms of he wasn't a mainstay or he didn't feel like he was as impactful in um in the goats meta but he, he you know you you were moving players in, in and out with soul it's difficult to say was it performance based was it system based what what is it um um what is it rely on but i, I don't feel like he was as good as Erster regardless um in, in, in that regard so but i do think he's a very safe pick in terms of filling um everything what, what do you guys think about flood because no one else had flood in their top 10 i think that the big thing for me was that a i kind of already had somebody that filled his role and b i i question and it's incredibly presumptuous to assume this but like you mentioned he has been kind of backpacking kids for a long time on an incredibly bad team when he kind of first showed up um, was a standout player on that team and is still now within like the upper middle half of the Overwatch League. I wonder if he doesn't see some success, does he just kind of hang it up? You know, he, he it's just not for him anymore. He's tired of the grind of having to be put into a new team, into a new system with the meta changing. Um, it, it just, I, I wonder if there's much left in the tank for him. I, I can see him just being tired of the, the same old hustle and, and moving on to other things. That, that'd be basically the only reason why I didn't have him other than, you know, Libra. My big issue with Fleta and the reason that he didn't make my list and I wouldn't even really be considering him is that I feel we had a spotlight on him when he entered the league because we were expecting big things. And if we hadn't had that spotlight on him, I feel like we would still just perceive him as a fairly average player or a player that's very mechanically gifted, but has never actually been able to realize the potential that he has. Um, and I'm not certain whether that's a coaching issue as well, because other players on the Soul Dynasty, just brand new players that have jumped in, have already replaced him on certain roles, look better than him on other roles. He's incredibly flexible, but a lot of the stuff that he plays, he has moments where he looks really high impact, but over the course of a match or over the course of a series, I think it's rare that he takes over a game, which is strange because when we were, he was coming into the league, that, that's what we were expecting him to be able to do, be a player that you could really rely on. 
But if anything, he really strikes me as just a, a, a plug in a team rather than anything else. He can play a bunch of different roles and he'll always be competent. He's always putting up decent numbers. He, I don't think he really has series where he just utterly disappears and looks like a liability. But I can't remember the last time that I saw a series and was like, wow, Fleder dominated that series. Or That was off the back of Fleder. It's, I don't know whether it's due to how the team works or the... I don't know what it is. But the guy has not had a series, even in 2018, that I could really point at and be like, this is Fleder playing a star-level performance. Uh, I think you're remembering that. I'm pretty sure we mostly agreed that Fleder was the best player in stage one of 2018. He was nuts on Widow, outdueled statistically basically every Widow, and then definitely, for me, dropped off a cliff from my... Like, he came into the league with expectations, fulfilled them for a while, then with Soul, he completely took a nosedive. Sometimes you could see little sparks of genius where he would once again like out uh, duel a widow for map maybe, but, but most of the time, then even players like Linkser outshined him in, in that regard. Sure. So if if there was a meta, widow meta again, yeah, I also agree that he's very flexible. But what Joe said is, how much more abuse can this kid take? Like he Soul is not a terrible team by any no, means. No, of course not. But he like there's still it do, still doesn't feel like now they build all these star players seemingly like if I'm Fleda I'm sitting there in in the preseason and think oh I'm getting Fisher okay nice so we getting Jackson dude Ooh. so I'm fighting for the championship right nope you're fighting for the upper mid tier and you're once again uh, stuck like how long how much longer does he have it left in him to be on the one of the best teams in the world maybe that is his drive and maybe we will only see him retire once that is finished that's very possible but certainly in terms of um just like career expectations i think he has taken one of the most abuse uh of any player star player in the overwatch league is that is that the team's fault or is that partially his fault like he he doesn't also strike is, me yeah. as somebody that's uh, you know, a phenomenal player on a bunch of bad teams. He strikes me as a player that's at that kind of level on that kind of team. I mean, do you really think that Fleder is a player that um, you would port onto, say, um, I mean, who would be the best fit, like the NYXL or something? I don't really know. But like onto a championship team, would you expect him to be able to perform at that level? So, so granted that I have him at six, I do think so. And to to make the case, I, I do agree very good points in terms of uh, criticism in, in regards to him. But I also feel like what Yiska said, yeah, he performed exceptionally well early on in the season. He dropped off a little bit. But as a fled apologist in this case, I just have two words or three words. Jaehong main tank. At one point during the last <laughs> season, he had Ryu Jaehong as his main tank. They had abs- They had incredible crisis over in, in Seoul, both in terms of coaching. It, it's been well documented in terms of having too many chefs in the kitchen. And he just did not, ha- they did not have a main tank for the entire season. And I feel like if you don't have a main tank, it ex- it's extremely hard to shine. It's possible, but it's, it's difficult. And it's certainly very difficult last year with, without an exceptional main tank to solo carry games. Um, I mean, even, even the... I think there's there's several examples for for different themes. I mean, Houston had Linkser. They were they were 
decent, but he couldn't really carry them to to the playoffs. We had Saya player. Also, he couldn't solo carry us either. I, I don't think. I, I think Overwatch is just a game where you have to have solid players in each position. And I just think. I just think Fleta does have that potential to carry, but I also don't expect him to be the solo carry. I expect him to fill the roles that are needed and then have another really competent player next to him. And uh, I, I do feel like though there are definitely good good concerns on your parts in terms of knocking him down because he has taken a lot of abuse. He has been in a lot of teams that will, will sap a lot of energy out of you. And I do not underrate that. Just going through one tough season shaves quite a bit off of your career. Uh, definitely mm. does. This 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 stress <laughs> your life. For sure. I mean, just from a coaching perspective, I, I know what it feels like. And when you are a player, especially a player who is a superstar and is and is relied upon to carry, and then you don't provide those performances, of course you're going to take shit. Especially in Korea, where everyone is just overly critical, uh, to, to, to say it lightly. So definitely uh, relevant concerns, but I still feel like his flexibility, his mechanical skill, and the fact that I think He's been more of a victim of bad situations. Granted, less so this year, but still, Fisher has fallen off. There's a lot of flexibility. And also, the meta didn't require him to mm -hmm. play DPS heroes. I think the fact that we're heading into 2-2-2 meta, yes, I'm not as confident maybe that he will learn some of these less mechanical heroes who uh, um, who perhaps, like Brig, you know, he wasn't as impactful. But I feel like at least in the next one or two or three years, I'm going to get a beast of a player at number six. So. Kind of I, I I agree with you, and and to kind of defend him for a second, I I I always wonder what Soul was doing with Fleta. I still don't know that they have a good idea of what they want to do with him. I think he's going to be another victim of of, of a, a kind of a situation with now Munchkin departing the team. I feel like he's going to have to kind of fill. If there's going to be a, a hit scan presence in, in the next metagame, he's probably going to be the one to fill it, and I think he can fill it well, but it's never necessarily been a strong suit in my eyes of his, like his Widowmaker is good. It, comparatively, I, I question if it's better than somebody like DMs or Carpe's or it's not. It, that's the question. I've always looked at him as a projectile. I have always looked at him as as far as his best hero. And then they get elicit a very, very talented far player from, you know, an amateur team in Korea. So it's, it's always, it's always weird to me what they want to do with him. Hopefully now they kind of have him, you know, set in a role. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to practice. We're not going to, you know, pull you this, you know, every which way. This is your role on the team. Now you can actually succeed. We might be able to see that within stage four. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've um, talked up, talked enough about flood. I think the, the biggest thing is just for me. Yeah, I, I agree. Like DM is a better winner. There's a lot of players who are better at different heroes that he plays. I just sure. think, I just think that he kind of, I, I feel confident that in a 2-2-2 meta, I'm going to be able to field him regardless. And he's going to be able to adapt. Now, mm. Let's move on to Saichu, who has Super at number six. So give us the case for Super at number six. Well, I've already made the case for Bumper, so here goes Super as well. So I, I rate main tanks. I think the main tank is an incredibly important role to have. But the reason that, uh, and also, I mean, if you want uh, a franchise star, then you honestly couldn't probably pick a more popular and marketable person than Super is. I think that probably goes without saying. The issues are going to come with defending his ability to perform over the next five years, I, I would imagine. Um, but the guy's very young and incredibly hungry. I mean, if you wanted a, a young, hungry guy that's seeking to improve and establish his place and will 
not be looking to retire in the next five years. I couldn't think of a better example than Super. I mean, whenever I talk to him, he's got his brain 100% focused on being the best player that he can be and just consuming Overwatch and thinking about it at all times. Um, I also think that he's made rapid development in the same kind of vein as Sinatra has uh, and has been utterly crucial this year in the San Francisco Shocks uh, success. Um, not only has his Reinhardt stepped up to the point where he was playing it at the best out of any of the Reins at the end of stage two, um, and potentially throughout stage three as well, he has made vast improvements on his uh, Winston as well compared to last season where it looked fairly, fairly mediocre for him or perhaps even worse than mediocre. Um, it's now looking like a, a pretty solid pick for him. And I think that he is the kind of player that will really take coaching on board and will really continue to improve over those five years. He's very much the guy that's at the beginning of his peak that also has the uh, marketability and uh, drive to be that five-year franchise star that you have on your team as the focal figure. And even if he's not the best main tank in the world, he's going to be hungry to reach that point on a bunch of different heroes and is probably always going to be a serviceable main tank but is going to be a real core part of your team's identity and what people think of when they think of your franchise. They're going to think of, oh, that's Super's team. Okay, so I'm going to head to the bathroom real quick because my bladder is going to explode, but I saw Yiska's reaction. So uh, Yiska, <laughs> give us, uh, give us, because you have been attacking Sacho's picks. So we had Bumper uh, in the previous pick. Now we have uh, Super. And judging from your facial reaction, you didn't like the pick. So... In my mind, okay, so first off, as I outlined beforehand, I didn't think um, that main tanks per se are a good pick. I, I'll even give you one more. It's just like for the sake of the viewers. Interestingly, someone told me last season that uh, Super, for some ungodly reason, I don't know why they would play that in scrims, but was actually Sig Farah. No idea why. Yes, actually, Super can play a bunch of other stuff as well. Like, he's got a nasty Roadhog. He's got some. So he used to play the Soldier in TF2. He used to play the same role that I did. So he's got natural rocket aim. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, I'm not sure if, like, A, the thing is, last season, yes, like, the, the same things still apply, sort of, that Sinatra did. The thing is, I'm not convinced that. Super was actually like. Would you say he's an MVP candidate this year? Um, I don't know. I I don't think that he's. I think he's an MVP candidate. Would I have him in my top five? Maybe at around the the fifth kind of level. The reason being that I think he's been incredibly incredibly pivotal to the San Francisco Shock style and the success of that style. I, so many times in in previous uh, fights. They'd be clutched out by an Earth Shatter, or he would set something up, or it's his aggressive tempo. And the whole San Francisco Shock model was about rotating aggression in the front line between Super Sinatra and Choyobin as well. So I think uh, in that sense, perhaps yes. I don't think it's as strong as the case for Sinatra, but I think what is much... The reason that I have him above Sinatra in my list, and I do have them both in my list, is that I'm not worried about Super playing any main tank that you give him i am worried about sinatra being able to play an dps hero you give him mm. uh, and and that's because both of them are pretty driven both of them are leadership figures both of them have made incredible uh movement over the course of their uh young careers so far uh, in terms of their development but super has a much smaller hero pool to learn and a lot more of the skills are transferable 
Sinatra, the, the hero pool for DPS plays is just enormous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like my my question really is is much like Bumper, is it possible to slot him into any kind of roster, or does he need to have a system built around him? Does he need um, like certain coaches, maybe even? Uh, in order to get there. Um, the thing is also, like beforehand, like last season he was honestly, like with the hype he came in, he was actually the one of the two of Sinatra and uh, Super that I didn't think convinced me much. And his improvement has been pretty solid or actually very good, just not to the degree that I think uh, Sinatra has. And also in the in the breadth of just like mentalities towards the game is super still seems uh very one-sided how so what do you mean by that um i think in general he like you he, he wants to be a playmaker what if if, if main tanks can't be that would that cause mentality issues he's certainly mostly aggressive tending um what what is if what if the main tank role switches up on him? Would he be adaptable in that? I'm um, I'm not sure if also maybe maybe I just take issue with his general attitude uh, that he has towards things that I think that it isn't conclusive to a five year career. Mm -hmm. I think he has a very exuberant personality, but I think he's actually very smart when it comes to his uh drive and uh how he thinks about improving himself yeah. i think he's do, do we have yeah, go on. do we have the time for a little anecdote about sure. me interacting with super so like before overwatch league season one i posted some statistical points from winston's lab onto twitter and uh super messaged me and was like and he was currently in that situation where he had been with lg and he wasn't picked up for the uh, NA main tank and whatever, and he wasn't getting the triads he, they wanted. And Super, a at this time 17-year-old guy, messaged at a time a 31-year-old guy and said, I'm getting effed out here, kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. He's so funny. You can make any... Any marketing around him. Yeah. yeah. No, he is. Also, he's not, also, if yeah. he's not the most popular player in the world by the end of this year, it's something's gone wrong. I mean, <laughs> he is he's very expressive. I think he's very marketable. Um I think he has been probably the best Reinhardt this year. I do have question marks regarding his flexibility. I want to see him uh on, on a Winston. I want to see can he be you know a, a top three or top four Winston in the league or a top five Winston in the league. Um, question definite question marks in terms of that and other main tanks, I think. Um, but I do feel I, I do, even though he's like very expressive and he's very out there, I do he does strike me like someone who people would like to play with as well. It, it, it does, he does mm -hmm. seem like he is uh fun to play with and he is um a good teammate at least. And he is young for sure, he's 19 and he has had uh, an upwards trend. So, any, any player who has improved and has grown over time, especially done a significant, significant jump since last year. That's definitely encouraging. Uh, any, any closing thoughts on uh, Super Valma? And, and if not, you can uh, go ahead and make the case for Diem. I think uh, to, to kind of uh, 
bookend super and, and discussion around him. I think he is like a uh, much in the same way that we're looking and, and viewing and discussing bumper. I think, you know, super kind of is a Western bumper, somebody that, that kind of is very expressive that can be your marketing, you know, focal point and be somebody that's obviously good, but has some question marks and somebody that's going to pull people into your team. Somebody that's going to be, a player that can develop relationships outside of just the team to kind of attract other players in and, and, you know, just be a solid player himself and attract people that way. But generally just a, a fun loving kind of guy that, you know, you, you kind of want on your team to, to kind of lighten the mood in such a, a serious environment. Um, DM uh, sick player uh, pops off. Uh, talk about, you know, focal points, you know, when we look at Fleta in season one, and how quickly people were attracted to his story and, and how how dominant, well, not dominant, but how good he was at Widowmaker. I think DM is is going to surpass that quite quickly with the way that he's been playing as of late. Um, somebody that you can just, in a way, I think you could view him like a, a player like Pine that is a little bit more consistent, that isn't just so you know crazy off the wall. He might not have the same flash that, that Pine does, but is consistently dominating people that we established as being the best. Now DM comes in from China and Pacific and, and, you know, lower tiers in Korea and, and showing them that, no, I'm the best. You should be paying attention to me. And that's somebody that you could put all kinds of cameras around and, and people I think would eat that up. Yeah, for all the people that were saying that Carpe was an MVP class season, uh, I think you have to use the same kind of argument to say yeah. that DM would be well. Uh, of course you don't, because we've been playing goats for fucking forever. But uh, now that the meta is moving towards two two two, which I can say because the announcement just hit, the, the that um, yeah, uh, it's it seems reasonable to say that you might be catching DM at the beginning of an incredibly illustrious career, mm -hmm. especially because he's shown stuff in in contenders regions before. Um, I think. He, the only downside that I could see to DM is the same thing that Mineral was saying in that I'm not a big fan of picking up hitscan specialists because they tend not to have the same level of flexibility and because the skill set required to play those hitscan heroes isn't as applicable to the wider range of other heroes. Uh, having said that, if I was to pick a hitscan player at the moment, it would 100% be DM. I wouldn't pick up your Carpes or your God, who else is even in the is even in the league in that conversation? Um, there aren't that many set hitscan specialists anymore. Actually, there but, aren't yeah. there aren't many players who can play Widow and Tracer actually, which is which is pretty insane. But there aren't many. Mm, sure. Even SBB, you saw, uh, yeah, there's only a handful. So, so yeah, I mean, DM would be my pick. I just don't have him on this list because I tend not to favor uh, the hitscan players. Yeah. I'm in the same boat, but I do think that he is so insane and the fact that I do think this is the start of something special, especially heading into DPS, man, I do have him in my top 15, even though I'm completely against picking players who are who don't have you know that that in, in their skill set. But the fact that he does play Tracer as well gives me a little bit of encouragement. I, I do feel like he's probably the best Widow um, in the world. Maybe Happy has something to say about that, but also Happy's Tracer I don't think is on, probably on the same level either. So uh, it's as as a package hitscan player, I think he's pretty much as good as it gets. Um, any any thoughts on that, Iska? Uh, no, I'm not mad at that. I had him in in one of my initial drafts as well, mm -hmm. and I think especially as we go down the list, there are many edge cases where yeah. I don't like. There's there's just minor points where it's like 
I, I, I caution a little bit against this recency bias of DM. Yeah. Yeah. But um, other than that, I don't have an issue with that. Okay. I, I would say as well that you don't even have to be that worried. The guy's just been pounding in, in contenders for so long and has come in and pounded in the Overwatch League. So I, I wouldn't even be as worried about that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number seven. Uh, here I have Twilight. Yiska has Hoxall. Sideshow has Alarm. And Valmel has uh, the Giga Chad himself, Amon. Uh, I think most of the Amen. guys... Amon! Oh, God, okay. I wow, think... all right. I don't think we have to talk about... Bullshit that we're about to <laughs> So, just for our uh, podcast listeners, Yiska just pulled out an, uh, an umbrella and um, shoved it into a camera. I almost got that, my, uh, that bullshit all over my nicely <laughs> ironed shirt right here. Come on, guy. Come on. Give it to us. Yeah. How... How can you? I, I mean, okay. So let me hear your criticisms first. I, I'm interested in why you think he's he's not a person that a you could market behind. B literally, literally never played Winston. Sure, true, but main again, tank. never played Winston. <laughs> main tank. Yes, but they've still found success even in despite that fact. Not not massive success. I, I can't I can't you know argue that point. But they still have found a way to win with a player that kind of is hyper specific. I think that you want those type of players to build, especially starting a franchise. You want you want those players that that are going to be very very sexy. That that you know oh this guy's different. Why is he different? You you dive into that. You you explain how the style around that player works is it specifically him is it the coach hard to tell but i think it speaks a lot that he wasn't even supposed to be the main tank has come in found massive again not massive success but success within within you know the framework um an exciting player very very fun to watch um how could you not right because the only reason he started was because his their actual main tag was caught. Or in is he just that good? Hmm? Is he just that good at, at wrecking yeah. ball? If if I was in a room with you right now, I would hypnotize you into believing Ameng was an American main tank and you wouldn't have him in your top 40. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay, so no. he is a, a one trick on a hero that has no competition and only for that reason this kid will get mirrored so hard as soon as ball becomes meta where everyone catches up to him and this kid is out next year if that happens his okay i was to sort of backpedal just a slight bit like yeah i was surprised where's ryan went but no like like no uh winston now we have to play Orisa for him. He's played. He has a history on Orisa. To be fair, he has he played Orisa. Yeah, he does. I, I would say you can question uh, how much it's been tested in China. Not the best region, obviously, but I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that he doesn't have a history on here. No, no, no I'm not saying that. It's just uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think... agree. I agree with Sideshow's point. Completely void of a Winston, which is very strange for a main tank. But I think. Given the proper it's, resources, it's impossible for a main tank, and 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 here's one of the reasons, right? If you put this guy on your franchise, would he be your only main tank that you would sign to the franchise? No. no, obviously not. Well, then he's not going to be fielded a bunch <laughs> of the time as your franchise star. 
You're going to have him on the ros- on the bench a lot of the depending on what the meta is. He might be on the bench for months at a time. Possibly. Maybe you just just put him in. I don't know. I I think he is still very flexible. He is role flexible, which I have criticized before. Um, I I genuinely think... I I don't necessarily agree with Yiska's point that he's just going to get lapped. I think that that's an argument you could apply to a lot of different things that we haven't or people haven't so far. I think it's very weird to just say that he's just going to get lapped. He's a player that is ahead of the meta if this is where things are going. Um, I think he's a player that's, again, hyper-specific that you can build a roster around to to facilitate his his very strange arable. So, yeah, I'm I'm siding on the side of Sacho and Yiska on this one to add something else. Um, I, like for, for me, if I if this was this was just about main tanks, just because like the lack of Winston, I think is so significant. I think it's one of the most important heroes to have in your hero pool. So I wouldn't probably pick him in amongst the top fifteen main tanks uh, in in the league, honestly. Let, let alone um, a list like this. And another thing that I think speaks against him is the fact that he's twenty two. Uh, he's I think the oldest player out of all the players we've selected on this list and i think that to, to me i just don't feel like for five years I, there's just too much volatility if if you know hammond was the only viable main tank and if, if hammond was as important by as winston is maybe i could see the case but yeah i think it's um it's a tough one for he, me. he also hasn't shown any ability to play on a on an international roster mm-hmm. so far he hasn't had the opportunity but uh, I'm also not convinced that we're going to have a turnaround of Chinese talent as it was in League of Legends. I think solidly in terms of talent that is put, being put out, you have to put China at fourth at this point behind Korea, NA, and Europe. I mean, that I'm, I'm incredibly biased in that discussion, so I, I won't open that can of worms. But uh, yeah. I mean, again, all valid points. I, th- I think it's... Uh, Again, it's the hyper-specificity, it's the flexibility. I think that you could find roles that he would still succeed in uh, on a team, even as, as a first pick, you know, this is who I'm building around. I think you could still manage, maybe not a victory, but, you know, sick marketability and uh, maybe a, a solid middle, you know, maybe maybe you, you're, you're the last team in the wildcard play-ins and, and you, you do it that way. You know, interestingly, he's not even that popular in China. I was surprised when I heard this, but he's he's really like a very unknown figure in China, and he's an incredibly quiet, polite individual as well. Hmm. It's actually been quite uh, difficult to market around him this year uh, for us on the desk and stuff as well, because he, he had this fever around him after they yeah. slapped the Vancouver mm-hmm. Titans that time, and then uh, it was impossible to build anything on because uh, hmm. the guy is uh hyper polite <laughs> who is the best yeah, who is the best uh wrecking ball in the league it's me right like it's two, two word answers <laughs> not not very spicy yeah. not definitely not bumper level in terms of uh, his post game interviews mm. uh yeah the, the rest of the guys we've already touched on i think uh, we've also made cases why we ranked them over other guys again alarm twilight and hoxel coming in for the rest of us so let's move on to number eight uh, here's where I have Hoxall, uh, a little bit lower down. Again, I'll, I'll already covered. Um, 
Saicho has Sinatra. Again, we already talked about it, why, uh, why Saicho pushed him a little lower. So the two new picks are Janu and Decay. Janu on the side of Volumel and Decay on the side of Saicho. Uh, sorry, Yiska. So Yiska, give us the case for Decay. So I think there is a great Korean flex support bloodline that a prophet would go in, a liberal would go in, a fledder used to go in. I think the new prodigy in that regard is decay. And it's sad that the general problems that the gladiators have had overshadowed what actually I consider still to be a very good season. I think in another world where they come together and decay can be their star player, there is a. I'm not saying their, his uh, performance this season was MVP level. I think if they was put in a position to be MVP level, he could have had. Um, he's generally like very flexible in the types of characters or heroes we've seen of, from him over the years. He's been doing it for a while, like it, starting like in the Apex days, he was already like a player that we look forward to. Yeah. Um, and in general, like, yes, that it's probably like, once again, we're down to the lower ranks, but I think this, this kid is the future. I'm I'm pretty sure. Like, if we're valuing, or if you're someone who valued uh, flex DPS or flexible tech DPS, no matter if it's uh, primarily hitscan or um, flex DPS, then you probably would have to at least consider decay. I certainly considered decay and almost had him in my top ten uh, at a reasonable position, actually, but convinced myself off of that pick. Uh, because I agree with your point that he does seem almost like the second coming of Prophet. It's rare that you see a player to be able to have Tracer and Genji to a very high level. He was very competent in contenders. He comes in, and honestly, he's been a top five Zarya throughout this league while he's been playing. It's been very good for him. Um, my issue is that we just didn't see that DPS um, play and DPS flexibility get tested in the Overwatch League. And it's an unfortunate circumstance that that was the case, but it leads me to have a little bit of doubt about whether or not that potential will actually be realized. Um, because he, he was already pretty competent on Zarya when he came into the league. It's weird how this narrative developed that he uh, not couldn't play it, but it was like a new thing for him. But because he was playing that in, in uh, not Apex, it must have been Contenders before yeah. he arrived yeah. uh, there. But he was already one of the better Zarya's in that uh, in that role before he moved over. And he'd been playing that role for a long time. Uh, so the fact that he is a good Zarya doesn't really speak to me to be that much of him learning a new role as much as he had a lot of experience playing that role and he knew it was the meta and that was kind of his his role, his niche that he fit into and was good at it. Um, and I'm, I just have, it's not his fault but I haven't seen the breadth of heroes and that level of competency in the Overwatch League. I agree. We could have had a, a year where if we had, if it had been 2018 when he'd come into the league, we might be talking about him as one of the greatest young players. But I just don't know because we haven't had the opportunity to see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, So I, I managed to convince my way out. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty high on Decay as well. I, I do agree with the your point, Saichai, but for the same reason, I feel like, um, you know, I valued Fleta in terms of, um, you know, his flexibility and the fact that um, 
he, um, he even though uh, I mean Decay is even better in, in the he has a, perhaps a, a smaller hero pool than Fleta, but he all but he does have that insane carry potential, sort of to the same way that. Hoxall does maybe not on the Genji, but certainly I think on the Trace and, and the other heroes. And I do think it's viable, uh, um, a viable argument the fact that we haven't seen it there. Um, but I, from what we have seen in contenders, I don't think he's going to have any trouble being a huge impact player in the next meta. And also with Azaria, yeah, it, it wasn't anything new. I think when Gladiators picked him up, they knew that that was part of his arsenal. The fact that he would be one of the better Azarias in the league, and certainly that panned out. I think as soon as he came of age, Gladiators transformed as a team uh have perhaps fallen off a little bit since then but i do think he transformed them and he has insane upside and just turned 18 uh definitely a, a private prodigy i think maybe question some question marks in regards to how he uh functions in the team um you know for, from what i've heard but really i think you can't take away from from that skill uh, that he has in the character potential that he has any thoughts on uh decay I think a lot of the a lot of my problem with decay in particular is that I haven't we we haven't seen him tested like sideshow said and I and I hate to double down on it again but we we just haven't seen him compared to the field just yet um I I find it maybe a little bit more difficult I think he had a a beautiful entry into the league with all of the marketing around him and the reported numbers that people were you know pitching around on a table to 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 potentially you know sign him for but since then hasn't seen much of a much of a, a hype around him obviously there's still the people who have seen him play before you know a lot of people you know in on the on the podcast with me today obviously that know what he is capable of and is going to show it within stage four probably um but i i just find it difficult to be able to say this is the guy currently I think if you took us all the way back to the beginning of the season and said, who would you sign? I think Decay would probably easily be on my list. But as of right now, going into season three with the the information that I have in front of me, I think it'd be difficult to, to kind of uh, get somebody to pay off on that. Mm -hmm. So Janu and uh, number eight for you, Valamil. I think give me and um, Sideshow can kind of stay away from here. We... we acknowledge that we're not really looking at off tanks for so i think yep. we'd be repeating ourselves um but yiska did have space in there so he also had enough tanks so give us a case for janu and then uh yiska can perhaps provide some insight as well what he thinks about that pick what's been surprising um and, and i guess this is my maybe ignorance or, or you know foresight um shortcomings of foreshot i should say i i don't necessarily think that diva is going to be completely phased out i definitely think that we have it's been a long time since she has not just been a staple that you must run um but i, I just feel like the the power in being able to negate so many different abilities just doesn't dwindle it just doesn't go away i think that's just inherently good about the hero and that's something that Janu does incredibly well another person on, on my list that does it incredibly well, which we'll get to that's exciting. That's something you can kind of capture and build around, not to mention he's incredibly flexible on a hero that doesn't necessarily fit a lot of the same skill sets, at least um, at first glance. 
Janu has a, a a wrecking ball that is quite serviceable. I think that that says a lot about his motivation and what he might be able to do in the future if given another hero, if given a Roadhog, if given you know maybe a new hero that comes into the game that um, fills the flex you know tank role that needs to be played, and he can play it. Hopefully, obviously, just you know again, it's it's a lot of assuming, but I'm I'm led in that direction from his his skill set on these two different heroes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... Like, my question then is, if Janu, why not Fury? I think, uh, like, Fury's ability to shine so bright as he did, at least for the first half of the season, I would say, um, on a, an honestly, otherwise pretty average to to pretty like underwhelming team in terms of to what we are used to from the Spitfire at, at certain points in the season last year. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it felt like Fury was just like so in tune with the game. And also, I mean, he hasn't shown elite performances on other heroes, but he has shown other performance sure. on heroes. Yeah. So um, like for me, if you... Um, if you think, okay, I want a Korean diva that also hasn't played on an international roster, then I would rather pick Fury than Janu. And, and to be fair, I, I do have Fury on my top ten. Um, I think I think you've convinced me in a way that I probably should have flipped them. I think Fury is a little bit more flexible, fits the criteria that I, I posed previously. Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree that I think uh, they should be flipped. I think. Um, Janu should be 10 and Fury should be probably 8. It makes sense. I like that a lot, a lot more. Okay. Let's uh, move to number 9. Uh, here I have Decay. Again, already covered, already talked about it. I, I agree with this guy. I think he's uh, exceptionally good. Uh, Volumil comes in with Jonak at number 9. Uh, again, someone we covered. Two new players here. We have Yiska with Carpe and we have Sideshow with Sparkle of Element Mystic. Uh, who wants to start? Take the sparkle. All right. Okay. <laughs> let's let's go with sparkle. So I had sparkle low down on my list because you tank the first year of your franchise and you, or, or I mean tank, you would still have a, a competent team, presumably. You just wouldn't have sparkle there. He would be on the bench, uh, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world. If, um, if you really believe in the guy and also you can build hype around, I still think you'd get value out of the, the marketability aspect and stuff like that. But okay, you do lose that uh, that part of it. You would give up the first half of your year until he turns 18 in May. Um, but I think that this and he's you know relatively unproven. But this guy has played at the top level of contenders for a while and has looked like an unbelievable breakout talent for a while. He must have been 16 or maybe even 15 when he first started getting onto people's radars, which is a great signal that he is uh, a, f a phenom. He's got a he's got a hero pool like nobody else. It's very, um, it's very attractive to compare him to guys like Prophet, uh, for example, or maybe Fletter or something like that. But he tends to outshine most of them by playing a bunch of hitscan heroes as well. Uh, whenever he's, uh, whenever he has to, I, I haven't really seen him play a hero where it seems like he's not very, very mechanically gifted at it. And I think with a good coach to 
continue to develop him and if he can undergo a process as he ages throughout this five-year contract where he would end up being 23 24 no 20 22 23 by the time it finished that's the majority of your maturation as a you know as a young adult is done throughout those years so if he's able to get to a point then where he goes through the same kind of stuff that like sinatra goes through and this kind of thing we've got a real like brand new incredible talent on it's one of the most high risk high reward picks that i could have gone for but i think the up end of it is that you've got a freak beast on your roster as the franchise star mm-hmm. yeah i think if we fast forward one year and we do this same have the same discussion no brainer i think that he finds his way onto this list and i do feel like heading into to, to flip to to put this discussion aside i do think he's going to be sort of like decay turned out to be one of the biggest prizes in during the off season um last year i think sparkle is going to be that this year even though he's not going to be eligible for maybe one and a half or two stages next year so no no arguments for me in terms of his upside uh just yeah in in, in terms of this argument i think t- tanking one year when there are I, th- I feel like safer options on the board i i'm just in favor of that yeah a lot of the the same points um the the amount of time that you lose granted he has a an absolute storm around him that people are super excited for um is a incredibly flashy player that can be a bit of a downside but like side was saying if you can put him in a system to help him mature to help you know you know reel him back in like like maybe a hawksall type of storyline this season um yeah we seriously could have a absolute star level player again uh, i hate to reiterate it but i just can't justify it yet no okay no i'm not not mad at sparkle whatsoever actually i'm i'm very happy that you allowed me to change last minute mineral because i had a way more ridiculous pick that is sort of similar i said glister because glister for me isn't don't don't you tank your first two years with Glister? Yeah, he is really. Yeah, yeah. yeah that <laughs> might be, I think it is not the first two years. I think it's just one year. A oh, year and a half or something. No, yeah, he's maybe. wait. No, he's older than Sparkle. Is he? Um, is he really? Yeah. Oh, who am I thinking of? Uh, no idea. Maybe but next or something. But yeah, maybe. Man, like Glister for me has like some of. Okay, this will sound so weird, but. He has some of the best hardware in terms of unhoned skill but potential of any player I've seen in Overwatch. This kid, like if you observed him, especially like in McCree situations, he would do stuff like double headshot a Sombra before the EMP goes off or stuff like that. He, Like his reaction time seems to be abnormal, borderline cheat-like looking, right? Um, in, in general, I think like as a um, ju- just like if you could get him a good coach, and I don't think he has had good coaches over his career, there's a lot of p- potential to be actualized. And this would maybe gl- someone like Lister is more like a pick that you try to um, take a gamble on more so. But that was m- that was my pick. But I think. When one wants to go for this high-risk, high-reward pick, I think you still have way better odds, now that I think about it, with Sparkle. I, I Honestly, I didn't think that he would be eligible next year. I, I looked at the 
maybe I just forgot the cutoff date because once again, like it's not, it's more binary, right? It's like mm. there are certain dates within the season and um, we know roughly that it's February to August. M maybe that is past the cutoff and one year is a long time. Like that, then I probably look towards another because I don't know if he even arrives in top shape in, in the Overwatch League, right? Yeah, somebody it's uh banter life in in chat says what if sparkle is the next flower and a letdown and i think they it's an interesting question but i think that the flower scenario was very different i yeah. i never really rated flower that highly i think that he had a lot of hype coming out of stuff like the world cup or coming out of i am kangi which was a long 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 time ago it was more of like a a hype issue Whereas a lot of the players that we're talking about have been around in the scene for years or at least one year and have been putting up consistent performances at the top level of contenders over the course of that year. It's not just a one-off tournament like the World Cup where it's not that uh, of a high performance. So I think I, I don't think that we'll see many situations like Flower and even Flower himself. I mean, he hasn't been given an opportunity to really play this yeah. year. It's possible yeah. that he could still come in and be pretty decent. Yeah. But I mean, like like you say, the hype was built around, especially at, was it the first World Cup or was it the second one? where Flower Second, played? it was 2017, oh, okay. where he just played against the USA and okay. played Widowmaker. And okay, fair enough. Because uh, I was thinking if the, it was the first one where, was, but that was like the Tyrong and, and, and those yes, guys. Yes, the Sumatra. Because I was going to say, yeah. if that was the World Cup where Flower built up his hype, then that counts for nothing because everyone just had streamers and stuff in their, on their mm -hmm. rosters. But yeah, I think Sparkle is much safer. He's proven much more in contenders. He's uh, had... He's had compositions crafted around him based on his skill, so he he can define a meta through his skill, um, or, or sorry, the, the the team color through through his skill. And also uh, another thing in, in terms of Flower is Flower reportedly, even when he was like sixteen, seventeen, had a lot of issues with his wrist, rolled into games with a wrist brace, so that was always kind of a red flag in, in regards to him. Um, so. Yes, you, you defended a guy you didn't pick in Glister, yes. but you didn't talk about carpet. So uh, why carpet? Now? So, okay. The the strongest argument I can make for Carpe is just pointing towards this last year's performance where he very, very... Like, I think people could have made an MVP argument if it wasn't such a revolutionary concept that Jonah came in and carried hard carried on a Zenyatta, right? Like, if that wasn't the element, I think if you take also the entirety of the season, also playoffs, with the exception maybe of the final, but Kape uh, has been a hard carry for that team, in my estimation. Like, a player that is so good that basically broke the paradigm of, okay, you need good supports, and you need good main tanks, and then if your DPS are good, no. If Carpe is good and if, if EQO are carrying, then Philly was winning, right? So uh, one concern, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but at 20 is his age, maybe, that uh, 25, especially over player that thrives so much off of his mechanics, couldn't put him uh, justify putting him uh, up there more. Also, this season, not that convincing, was it? Uh, this well, is this really the season that he can show his skill set, though? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if I'm looking, now we can say, like, towards the 2-2-2 Rolog, we have a very clearly defined role now that where Carpe can grind towards 
and um, will not be replaced un unless there's like even I I'm I'm not even putting it past him. I think he played Genji in the past, right? Yeah. Like way back in Apex. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Carpi will be a mainstay for a lot of rosters. I don't think many you, you would have many rosters where he wouldn't start on, and um, just his. His ability to hard carry. Now the question mark is a little bit, what about final situations? Is that something where he chokes? We I don't think we had enough empirical evidence on this yet. But basically, like you see me talking down Carpe why like giving caveats and whatever. That is because I'm so confident in his ability, in his mechanical ability. And also he's not a stupid player. He doesn't he does take some outrageous angles, but because he can. And then that isn't stupid or it isn't masked by his uh mechanics it's just like smartly picking the angles that you can with the uh aim that you've grinded into so uh yeah i think carpe is should still be a solid pick i think heading into a two to two lock especially you, you obviously you can give him a bit of a pass for for the season simply because we are heading into two to two and i think he is i mean i pegged philly as one of the biggest winners of the 2-2-2 two -two -two lock happening simply because they can once again slot this guy into a position where he can potentially um, carry. So I, I don't really mind the pick. It's just, for, for me, the fact that he's 20, the fact that uh, he wasn't, he didn't really show anything in uh, GOAT's meta, or, you know, he wasn't, certainly his impact was nowhere near uh, close to what where it was last year. And also... Uh, the fact that he is he is a hit scan specialist, he's a flexible hit scan specialist, but still we haven't seen enough Genji to really trust it. Uh, but I do think he's mechanically uh, insane. Anyone? Any other thoughts on Carpe? He seems like a difficult person to work with. Mm. He seems like a lot of the stuff that I've heard about Carpe and the um, the I don't know the reports about the people that have played with him or the how easy it is to coach and this kind of stuff leads me to believe that you would have to have the right roster around him. I don't think Philadelphia Fusion is a great example of a well-functioning mixed roster team. And I think that part of that might be because of Carpe and because I would really be entirely unsurprised to see Carpe leave the Philadelphia Fusion and join a full Korean team next year and only ever play on full Korean teams for the rest of his lifespan within the Overwatch League. I would... I, I think that's an entire reasonable, entirely reasonable future for this guy. The other issue for me is that with a lot of new talent coming into the league this year, I don't think we'll see Carpe as the standout player that he was last year. I think when you, when you consider the other Widowmakers that have been added in, I don't think that he's going to look like the god-tier Widowmaker that he did last year. And... Even though he was incredibly talented at like the McCree and the Soldier 76 and this kind of stuff as well, the main argument for Carpe is that he's a, a freakishly good player. And I think you will always struggle to build um, longevity around people who are freakishly good players mechanically because young talents are always going to keep developing that are going to overtake them. He's probably always going to be competent, but... For me, the hit scan role is something where I would rather change it every year or every couple of freakishly good player that's hot at the time rather than have a mainstay that's always going to be pretty good. I never want to be in a position where Carpe becomes the next bird ring and I'm like, mm. oh, fuck. Mm. Now I've, now I've yeah. got 
Carpe on my team for five years and he's birdringed me. He's absolutely <laughs> booming. <laughs> oh, I don't know whether that comparison. would ever happen, but we never saw that coming with birdring, honestly. No. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But, but and, that, I, and I still don't really know what the reason was for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just comes down to personality. I think I think with Birdring, uh, from what I, I've heard at least, is the fact that he's just not that motivated. Um, sure. What we discussed, drive, I don't think, from what I heard, um, again, just, just rumors, but that he might not uh, have that, that he might have backup plans or, or whatever. So maybe that, because I do think Birdring in his prime, I think if this if this segment is done before season one started, I think Birdring is definitely he's up there. Mainstay, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. He's yeah. one of the top. He's because Profit hadn't quite exploded uh, yet to, to the same degree. I think Birdring would have probably been one of the first tap picks for sure. So yeah, the drop off Whisper address. Whether that uh, applies to Carp or not, difficult to say. But yeah, I mean, again, just from what we've seen, rumors spread publicly. How much weight do we want to give them? Who knows? But I forget where it was, but it was publicly uh, announced, and it, it's been not announced, but it's it's been publicly said by someone that you know Fraggy would never play on a roster with Carpet or whatever. Mm. And who again, just a rumor that someone put out there. It's been circle jerked. Who knows how much truth there is to that? But there have been stories like that put put out out in the open. So yeah, like that's definitely I think um, a, a reasonable point that Sideshow made in terms of potential red flag. That that isn't strictly bad though. Mm. A star player demanding quality sure. uh, players on his roster but... and completely pu pushes his weight around and says, "No, I'm not playing with uh, with Fraggy at this point in my career. I like I just lost a final uh, half a year earlier. I want to win this, this entire thing." Um, sure, sure. Also, like. Carpe seems to have a chip on his shoulder. I don't see him get running into motivational issues anytime soon. No, he seems to have I this agree. beastly like drive around him, where it's like almost nagging him yeah. if he yeah. feels he like. Could that not burn anymore. him out though? You you wonder? You think that could just like drive him into the the ground? Very hard to say at this point. I would say yeah, yeah. It, it's de definitely the, difficult. the The big thing with me is I I cannot see Carpe. Um, getting uh, demotivated and falling off in the same way that Birdring has. But it does seem to me when I watched the entirety of Philly Fusion this year that they're just phoning it in, that they don't <laughs> enjoy playing with each other and phoning it in. And I don't know whether I'm just reading something into it based on like, what my assumptions are of how things are working behind the scenes. But when I watch that team, I'm like, none of these guys look like they want to play with each other. They don't look like a team. They look just like a collection of individuals. So maybe, you know, Carpe would refine that fire with a different team and the entire team would look better. Um, but I'm always slightly worried because they don't look like a bunch of, like, people that put the team first. Mm. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's reasonable to say, well, yes, superstars should be able to make demands, like Yiska says. But at the same time, I think as as a team, if you want you want to build uh, around someone, I think you'd rather not have that headache uh, or potential headache uh, if there are equally good uh, options on the table, or options that are um, so, so, sort of on par with um, with him. Okay. Move on to the last pick. We have uh, me coming in with Sinatra at number 10. Again, already covered uh, why he slid down to number 10 for me, but he does make the list. IDK, we already talked about. Sideshow also valued him, putting him at number 10. 
Valamel put Fury at 10. We already discussed the Fury versus Jono argument. Uh, don't mm. have to cover that too much. I agree, Fury is uh, uh, exceptional. Well, I think he's the best off. He's the only off tank I have in my top 20. Um, and so the only new player we have here is Yiska coming in with Yaki at number 10. So give us the case. Yaki, for Yaki. at number 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I feel like this is an out there pick as well. Definitely from the arguments and general frameworks that you guys voiced, I would probably revise and also think about Sparkle. But my idea with Yaki is, A, he's just turned 18. You're getting the full length of the uh, contract out of him, in, theoretically, you know. Um, I think NYXL has seen his talent and ha has put him into a, a one of the best incubators for talent in the Overwatch League. Um, it is also the case that I think Yaki probably will be what Nene was this year, and Nene would have been better if NYXL, and people are saying the um, top three for NYXL, I think that is massively boosted by the division they're playing in. I don't think we're, we're uh, really there yet. And also, they have a ridiculously stacked roster. So um, for Yaki specifically... He has been doing it much like Decay. So Decay and Yaki are very similar players for me. Coming on, like they come up, came up around the same time. Um, Yaki, if I remember correctly, also was, wasn't he initially known for his Doomfist as well? Then um, I think he was more of the Farah. I think you're referencing like MVP space era. He was more of the Farah. I think one fact was the the Doomfist. Uh, oh yeah, one yeah, fact. One fact. Yeah, Farah Tracer. Yeah. I would say are Yaki's best heroes yes. probably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, Farah Tracer, like wide champion pool in that regard, um, highly thought, uh, sought after as well. Uh, and he also strikes me as someone that is highly malleable to whatever like if you're confident that you get good coaching in your franchise i think you can easily make this guy a franchise player also possibly in terms of the personality that he develops like uh he has a lot of proof at this point never really had any good like i'm not sure like i think fifth Fifth to six is like the average rating that this guy has had in, in contenders and Apex. Never really had any breakout performances. But when his team had crazy upsets, it was most of the time because he was an absolute yes. nut. Yes. I mean, think back to when MVP Space beat Lunatic High like that in their prime, I think, in Apex Season 3. like It was off the back of the pressure from his Farah. Like, he is a focal point when they did succeed. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, t to me, the reason he d he, I'm not confident putting someone like that in my top ten simply because we haven't seen him uh, on the Overwatch League stage. Uh, but he actually does make my just barely cracks my top twenty because I do feel like I've, I've watched him for a while. Obviously, trying to scout last year as well. This is someone I've uh, uh, kept tabs on a little bit, and I do think he's exceptionally talented, and he will be also highly sought after. Uh, if if you know people come in and try and pit for him in the offseason. And very fair point in terms of him just turning 18. So you're heading him, uh, getting him sort of at, at the beginning of his um, career in terms of that. Uh, Saicho, any thoughts on uh, Yaki? Um, just that if I was going to pick somebody a little like that, I probably would take a high-risk reward um, player like a Sparkle or a Glister um, if I'm going to try and pick somebody new that is untested in the league. And if I wasn't, then I'd probably go with somebody like uh, like a 
Decay, who I don't have in my top 10, but I would put in that slot instead. So I, I feel like I, Yaki's a, a reasonable pick, but would be way further down my list because I feel like there's better candidates above mm -hmm. him. Not yeah. that Yaki's a bad candidate, just that I would personally rather have other people ahead of him. Yeah, if, if the resources aren't a question, you know, roster doesn't matter. Like everybody speaks universal language. Yaki, it feels like a very good like value pick. It doesn't feel like an all-star player that's going to kind of dictate your team's uh, identity in the future. Okay. We've been going for a really, really long time, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, the last one, the last thing I have is uh, that I just pulled up on stream is um, kind of the consensus list, a list of all the players and how many times they were picked. The guys who are highlighted in green are the guys who have appeared on uh, in three of our lists or more. I also assigned points and point averages to all of these guys. So obviously, if you, if you picked first, you get 10 points. If you picked second, nine points and so on, and then averaged it out. So... Um, any thoughts on that list? We have seven players who have been picked three times or more. That's uh, Profit, Gushue, in, in this order as well. Profit, number one. Gushue, number two. Jonak, three. Twilight, four. Alarm, five. And Hoxel and Sinatra are the guys who are uh, top seven uh, and the guys that have been picked the most. With Profit at a dominant nine out of ten points at number one. And Gushue at 6.75 at number two. What do you guys think about, about that list? Like consensus. I think it was pretty surprising that everybody jumped on Gucci. I, I didn't, uh, honestly, didn't expect that. I, I kind of assumed that people were going to go with like safer picks, you know, like mm -hmm. your your monos, your maybe even gesture, like looking forward on, on how 222 is being um, predicted, seeing a lot of Arisa potentially could see a, a gesture resurgence. I kind of assumed like he, he was on my list for, for a hot second. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see Gucci on the list. Don't get me wrong, but kind of surprised. I think of the people that I would take lower down the list and want to bump higher up, outside of the people that I personally, I think Decay would be the big one. Mm -hmm. I think if you if you were really gonna try and pick somebody and um, and work around them, and you weren't too concerned about the fact that we haven't seen much from him this year in the Overwatch League in terms of his flexibility, I think you you can't really go too far wrong by going for Decay, and I think he will become a superstar in the future. Mm -hmm. um, Outside of that, I mean, the, the Sinatra pick is interesting. That I, I thought actually that Sinatra would be one that people disagreed with me about because of the idea of the recency bias and the fact that we've only really yeah. seen him play Zarya to a ridiculously yeah. high level. Um, so I, I thought that that would kind of be a bit of an outside punt. In fact, on my list, I think he's like number eight or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's number Maybe 10 number in mine. I, I think he gets boosted a lot by Yiska having him at four. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that that's interesting to me. And I think it'll be very interesting to see whether Sinatra does continue to perform or even does continue to get fielded in Stage 4 and in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's like the point that Mineral made before, like if a player like Striker, like the skill level of Striker or the potential of Striker can sit on the bench and practice specific DPS heroes in his little time chamber and does nothing else than Widow lobbies for basically three-fourths of the stage, and then Widow becomes meta and Sinatra plays it was to play ahead of him, that would be insane. And an insane, like, especially by someone who we rate so highly as uh, uh, the coaching staff from San Francisco Shock, that would yeah. be an amazing vote of confidence. I cannot honestly not see it, but that isn't really down to the quality of Sinatra. 
it's probably just down to the quality or the depth of the bench and just the preparation process. Yeah, I think uh, yes, Sinatra is I think is a reasonable pick. I think we we kind of covered everything in terms of mm-hmm. the, the upside, this trajectory, and all of that. I think a reasonable uh, pick. But yeah, ov- obviously very small sample size because there's only four of us doing this. Uh, I'm gonna pull up the because uh, someone asked in chat if we can pull up uh, all the uh, picks for all of us, so you have them on the um, on the screen right now. And my picks being to the left, and then you can see everyone else's names. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting discussion to have, and it would be very interesting to see kind of pull all the maybe GMs in the league on something like this and see where this average is out because obviously this is a very small sample sample size, only four guys, uh, but we did seem to reach a pretty decent consensus on at least top five, top top six, maybe even including Sinatra top seven, but certainly the up and coming guys and profit being a dominant number one is someone we uh, all liked a lot. Uh, any closing thoughts uh, before we wrap this up? We've been going for a very long time. Oh, I don't think good. so. All interesting, right. uh, interesting concept. Yeah, definitely, definitely interesting to discuss. Thank you guys for coming on for all the listeners. As always, you can catch this on YouTube. You can catch this on Twitter, uh, all the podcasting platforms. Um, going to be up probably a little bit later today uh, thank you to all the guests for coming on for having discussion for a really really long time it was uh, very en- enjoyable at least to me and uh yeah follow give all these guys a follow you see the handles right below their names and um we'll uh, we'll see you next time take care mm-hmm.